What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York. Joining me via the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what's good? Um, Sean, man, uh, had a nice weekend vacation in San Diego. Um, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't be there. That's nah, totally fine. I mean, you literally just traveled across the continent of, of or the country, I guess continent too. Yeah. Um, literally a month ago. I didn't, I didn't, that's uh, true. That's I wasn't, true. I wasn't expecting you to show up. That's <laughs> totally fine. Uh, for, for literally everyone else that doesn't listen to this pod or that is listening to this pod. I have this personal fantasy that because groomsmen do so much for the groom in the months leading up to a wedding, it feels weird to me that that all of a sudden just goes away after the wedding. And so just as the bride and groom celebrate their anniversaries together, I thought it was appropriate for me and my groomsmen to celebrate our anniversary <laughs> uh, <laughs> together every year that we can. We didn't last year because the pandemic sucks, yeah. but, you know, try to organize as many of us as we can every year. Just have like a weekend vacation from our significant others and from responsibilities and uh, just hang out. So this last weekend went to San Diego, California, and we literally, we just did some escape rooms on Saturday. Oh, sick. Um, and those are, those are always fun. And what, what, what uh, give, give me the breakdown of, of who, who uh, does what in, this, in an escape room, who's the MVP, who's the person who you delegate something to and be like, all right, I'm going to check back on you. Well, okay. So, the two, <laughs> so we did two. One yeah. was incredibly linear. Like okay. the, it was actually just a single escape room like there's no oh. connecting doors or anything yeah yeah and so every puzzle is just like something else on the wall on a different part of the wall or you unlock a different little puzzle thing so it's very sure. it's very one track mind yeah. so it was kind of fun it, this was um wally's first escape room oh sweet and then this is alex's second escape room nice um and so it was a lot of fun to kind of watch them kind of get their bearings and like how to think outside the box. And like each of us had like an epiphany moment uh, throughout. So that was a lot Sweet. of fun. There was Morse code involved in this one. Nice. Um, it was pretty wild. There was, there was some red, red herrings that we fell for. And so we actually didn't make the 60 minute timer on oh. this first one. Uh, we got to the last or right before the last puzzle oh, um, man. to get out. And so that kind of sucked. And so uh, we went out to lunch and we just kind of talked about, you know, it's kind of fun, blah, blah, blah. Then we went to the second one <laughs> and we killed it. Oh my nice. gosh. It was so much fun. And so I love escape rooms. I mean, so many people do, but like every escape room I've done has had something unique about it mm -hmm. that like set it apart from all the others. My totally. first was for your birthday. Yeah. A few years ago. And that one had virtual reality yeah. mixed uh -huh. in, which is yeah. super cool. That was crazy. Um, the one we did for uh, Joey's bachelor party had roles. And so everyone oh. had a tool or a special ability that they could oh, use. Oh, that's cool. Right? And that was super, and and also in that one you start in two different rooms and you have to communicate like you get split. Oh, wow. And yeah, <laughs> so that was awesome. Um this is the 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 one that we lost was the first one that I'd done that was uh 
in a single room because everyone else all the others usually there's like a maze or you connect to things and, yeah uh, that kind of stuff and then the second one we did was um kind of like a pandemic sort of one is like you have to find the <laughs> antidote to this virus blah 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 okay um and it used it gave numbers and measurements that you <clears throat> that you didn't have to use like there was just extra stuff you could do cool. and, and like it was awesome and like we uh you have a single whiteboard that you can take notes on and oh, that's it cool and it used it used uh like all of your go-to like map cryptograms translations here's five um scientists here's the vaccines that they're known for how do they correlate uh and so we're going through like was it their birthdays like in what order oh it used the periodic table of elements as the cipher for a number a code that you got to get the letters that you need to get the hidden message like it was very interesting and we we knocked that shit out in 26 minutes felt so good (laughs) i guess the record there was some guy did it in 18 but uh but we still felt good about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. That sounds great. Yeah. So it was a good time. The uh, My goal for these like groomsmen reunion things is like get to where we're going Friday night, chill Saturday, do an activity or two, go to a nice dinner and then go home Sunday. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's very simple, very Bing straightforward. Yeah. And so, yeah. So we had nice, had a nice dinner at the same restaurant that we went to for my bachelor party. Oh um, yeah. The and Italian restaurant, the first the Italian restaurant with yeah. the cheese wheel pasta, where they <laughs> make the pasta in a bowl of uh, a giant cheese wheel. So it's just super cheesy. Um, <laughs> and so that was awesome. It was just it was just a nice little getaway from responsibilities. Excellent. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you, man? How was your last week? Oh, really chill. A lot of hanging out, watching the Olympics. Um, mm. uh, Rachel, I think. Either this year or 2016, one of these is the first year that she doesn't know any of the swimmers because she was because oh, she was a you know nationally ranked swimmer scholarship in college and all that full ride. So uh, swam at trials, but not close to making uh, the team. But still, you know, it's a, not a gigantic community. So um, right. it's kind of like you just see so many different sports and, and things that you're learning about. It's also been a crazy week for conventional sports. Dodger, my Dodgers, my Lakers both swung enormous trades. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Some excitement, some trepidation. Whenever something big changes, it's, there's always, it's always nervous and mm-hmm. not sure that the basketball trade is going to work out, but you got to have faith. Uh, there was something else I wanted. Oh, I finished Nomont. I finished reading oh. it. Yeah. How, how do you feel about it? Good. Was I it was good. it amazing? Did, so, okay. Were there puzzles or clues that you feel like didn't come to, like there was some wasted effort in terms of like things that you looked up? No, I, I think I, well, I haven't done the puzzle yet. I, okay. I, I, I don't think it's it. The authors made some public statements and it's like, it's not like this is necessary. It's not like the whole book is an attempt to unlock this puzzle. It's just like an extra little bit to uh, an Easter egg or, or something like that. Mm. But all of the sort of densely woven themes and symbols, that's all there for its own sake. It's to get you to bring outside knowledge to, to deepen your understanding of the text itself. 
and to, to make connections between some pretty disparate plot threads. And if you do the work, then you can kind of see what they're building towards and how they might build on each other or play off each other or come together or whatever. So I found myself texting you the way you often text me about <laughs> comics. Just like, this is blowing my mind. Just, oh, my oh my God. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, so that didn't go away. Uh, I was satisfied with the ending. I don't want to talk too much about it because yeah. like you, you know, I want to, even though you're not reading it, I want to preserve your experience of yes. this book as if you were. My man. <laughs> My man. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> So yeah, and and now that I'm done with it, I can I can see the shape a little more clearly. Uh, in the rereading, I picked up most of uh, what turned out to be interesting or useful, but I think there are some things I'll have to emphasize a little stronger um, <laughs> going forward. Cool. I feel like there was something else, but I can't remember it. So maybe we should just start the show. Sure, man. Um, yeah, let's let's go into it. we uh, this this last week we read. We finished off Dawn of X, basically. We sure did. Um, Dawn's volume 13 through 16. Volumes 13 through 16. Uh-huh. Overarching feel or thoughts or like, how'd you feel about reading these last four volumes? I want to get deeper into this after the recap in, in terms of like bigger picture ideas about Dawn, but mm -hmm. they it kind of felt it. It didn't feel like much of it, it felt more like connecting the dots rather than, you know, than really ending a, a sort of like the first act. Yeah. You know, it, it felt like it was really just kind of stringing things along rather than like putting a statement yeah. on something. I'm so glad I'm not the only one that feels <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I felt like uh, it felt like the episodes between the winter mid-season finale and the season finale of a tv show uh-huh like we just had something like it felt like like as hype as we were on volumes like 10 11 and 12 yeah and then especially like ending the first few arcs in up to volume six and then seven through 10 getting crazy and 11 and 12 just really ramping things up all of a sudden it felt like 13 through 16 was just like we're still going <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, or, I, or I, we I, have to check these boxes off before we get to the real climax which is right. x of swords yes and i feel like a lot of that had to do with the fact that we didn't get any hellions <laughs> and we only got two issues of x-men right and those were taken up largely by empire which means that they're kind of like they're they're not the x-men and their folk their plot isn't the main focus right yeah because we only got x-men issue 10 and x-men issue 11 and then yep. we got two giant size x-men's we got and then we got to go through some cables wolverine some new mutants some right marauders and stuff like that but and like even even marauders we got two issues of marauders but didn't feel like other than like one or two things uh, right we'll talk about it, it didn't yep. feel like much happened yeah absolutely yeah the very what's the word for the opposite of dense very, very, um, very uh, phased, very, uh, <laughs> very decompressed. Yeah. Uh, you know, like 
uh, there's a term in, in uh, comic studies or, or as a comics writer for uh, compression versus decompression. How much story are you telling per page, per issue? Uh, how many panels, how many words, et cetera? You have a more like fast flowing cinematic sort of feel when it's decompressed and a more like uh, literary or stage play type feel when it's very compressed and things are like, you know, you're telling like probably more episodic storylines, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking back on, on my four, like I have a page of notes per volume when I read these, uh, when I read comics, I try to keep my notes condensed yeah. and my Dawn 13 and 14, I guess because there's only three issues because each of them had two issues of Empire X-Men, which you already read, but like my notes are kind of sparse. Yeah. Same on the first two volumes. Yeah. Same. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, well, anyway, that, so, uh, that just gives us more, uh, more, more time to to talk bigger picture questions yes, at the end. Yes, and maybe uh, we'll have a podcast that doesn't take three hours to record. <laughs> I know, seriously. <laughs> uh, okay, so Dawn thirteen, uh, Dawn thirteen had Cable issues three and four, X Men number ten, and then Empire X Men one and two, which we will skip today. Yeah, so let's let's start out talking about Cable three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first question for you, because it's starting to get larger into the plot of Kid Cable and Adult Cable. And, you know, what connection is there between them besides, you know, literally being the same person? <laughs> like there, it's revealed that there's there's a sort of like unspoken deal or idea, you know, shared idea of purpose and collaboration in some sense between them. And that's sort of taking off for the first time in, in this mini story arc. And then also finishing off with the the Galadorian, the Space Knight plotline. Yeah. Yeah, there was... So that part happened in that got explored a little bit in issue four. Yeah. Um, of just like, oh, I know how to fix this. Let me just like remember it. And then old old man cable will do it for me. <laughs> right. This didn't make sense. So what we're talking about here is uh, in issue three, the space knights are confronting Zephibi, it's Esme. Yeah. <laughs> Are so- confronting Cable and young Cable and Esme about the sword of light that he has. And in order to get the Space Knights to leave him alone, he's like, What if I gave you a time travel device so you can get to, so you can hop back in time to save your planet from exploding sometime in the past? Yeah. And they're like, Yeah, absolutely. Let's totally do that. And so to and it's, do that, it seems like it's just because he thinks this sword is cool. Like, right. He has he is no going, real connection. He has no motivation besides this is a cool, sharp object. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's going through all of these insane, you know, like machinations of literally getting a time machine, getting the help of Deadpool, you know, all of these other things just to cut a deal with these Galadorians to get a sword that he doesn't have any larger like character or plot motivation towards that we know of. Because to this point, I don't think Cable's ever had anything larger than like a Bowie knife. No, he's not a, he's a gunning animals. (laughs) He's a a gun guy not a sword dude. Yeah. He's a soldier. Uh, Whatever. But so he convinces the space knights to be like, 
Let me go get you a time travel device. And for whatever reason, my metal arm doesn't have a time travel device, but old man cables metal arm has a time travel device and it's going to be a double cross. But like, so we find out that King Deadpool over on monster Island, which we talk about in the past uh, episode has cables dead body because it turns out cable had asked Deadpool like, Hey, this thing ever happens to me, keep my body. <laughs> right. <And> Deadpool's <laughs> like, yeah, sure. okay, what? Sure. So he puts him in inside of a pool table, a, a, a clear pool table, which is kind of funny. Um, because <laughs> it's a pool table for a dead guy and he's yeah. dead pool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did I never thought of that. And how dare you bring that up? <laughs> uh so so young get I feel like calling him Nate. Cause I feel weird calling him cable, but uh, how about, how about, how about we go with, uh, with Deadpool's nickname of choice and call him Babel. Yeah. Babel. So Babel gets the arm and then we get one little side scene of the continuing side story of this cult of X who, who kidnapped mm-hmm. the mutant baby and they're going to do some sort of ritual somewhere in the future, probably in a cable issue down the line, because right. issue four only deals with the Space Knights. Yep. Yeah. We just have, so we have the, basically the double cross is that he wants to wire dead cables, cybernetic arm to explode with a nuclear device. He opens the arm, doesn't have a nuclear device. And so he's like, wait, I know how to fix this. And then he just remembers to put a nuclear device in his arm. And so old man cable is like, oh my gosh, that's right. And he puts a nuclear device in his arm. Yeah. <laughs> so they can explode this nuclear device. <sighs> but yeah, what whatever it takes to get past this arc is is my kind of takeaway here. <laughs> yeah, it it was very silly. Let's see. I was curious. The uh, so the the space knights thing really it doesn't I don't understand why this is but why any of this plot was necessary except to get him a sword for X of Swords. Right. Uh, it just kind of seems like all sort of window dressing to put a thing in his hand. Yes. So, which so, which is required for the next plot point. Right. And that's generally how I feel as well. They're like, okay, I have four issues to give him a sword. Let's give him a sword of some random 80s toy. And because that's <laughs> because that's going to happen, we need to address the fact that they used to belong to someone else. So let's get rid of them as well. Yep. Yeah. So the Space Knights think they're going to travel back in time. So they summon all the rest of the Space Knights to this place. And then nuclear bomb goes off. Get, and they kill them Theoretically okay, gets cool, rid cool, of cool. all the yeah. Space Knights. So, but so all of that seemed like the just the the sort of box checking and not the actual like takeaways or what any of this was about it seemed right. like what what's really going on here is these hints of the the interaction and interplay between babel and old man cable and yeah. it it starts with because i didn't read you know the the story arc where kid cable is introduced and the story arc where he kills old man cable uh that was really recent right that was like the last thing that happened before this and how how long was kid cable even around before he assassinated old man cable oh not it was like within like two issues okay 
So, so this is Kid Cable's that, first solo might have arc. Been the issue. <laughs> so, so we're so I, I guess I didn't understand how much of this series is about establishing a character for a Kid Cable. Kind of Cable, yeah. yeah. Character building, and but also, you know, answering some of these lingering questions of you know what happened with Kid Cable. Why is he here? Why did he kill old man Cable? These were all dangling plot threads that weren't actually addressed previously. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, so uh, we have, we have X-Force led yeah. by old Cable. Yeah. And then at the end of the first volume, Kid Cable shows up and kills old Cable. And then Kid Cable try is like trying to lead X-Force and they're like, we, you killed old Cable. Why should I follow you? And he's like, because I'm Cable. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just me. Like, I, I know through the history logs that you guys followed me. Why? What's the, what's the difference? Like, you killed him. <laughs> but it's so like they spend, I think it's two volumes going on random missions and keeping an eye on Kid Cable, giving them an excuse to go on these missions. And then Disassembled happens. And then at the end of one of the volumes, you see that old man Cable is meeting with with Scott in a bar, oh. and then but just like as like a as like a epilogue, oh oh, kind of a thing. Yeah, and then Dawn happened. So oh okay, so so it was revealed that he's alive. That old man Cable yeah. is alive. He, oh yeah, he like he's survived. He survived, or he's back, or something. Like old Cable is in the shadows right now, at least. Up to House of X, Powers of Ten. Interesting. Okay, but this is I very much a new paradigm for mutants. I didn't know that detail. Okay. Yeah. Uh, be- well, yeah. Six One Six doesn't know that either. We right. as readers do. Okay. Okay. So, so issue three starts off, and and then it comes back in a few different scenes, but it starts off with a retelling of you know the the scene in which Cable, uh, Kid Cable, uh, assassinates old man cable i'm assuming that it's the same like you know blocking and dialogue here of you know their position and saying the same things but i don't know if that's true but it's it's revealed that there was also a telepathic conversation going on between them kid cable says you've outlived your useless usefulness and old man says you're making a mistake and then telepathically he says i got a lot of bums gunning for me kid you're gonna inherit them but do you really want this to be your future and then (laughs) he says you should have seen that coming and then in a later scene it's revealed that old man cable said i did i did Yeah. Was, know, was any was was any of that dialogue in in, um, in the actual scene? Where yeah, you, the, you should have seen it come and happened. Okay. Um, out of your usefulness, I believe, also happened. Okay. Sounds cool. familiar. Sounds good. So, <sighs> so that plus the the cooperation where old man Cable dutifully gets the nuke and puts it in his arm for Kid Cable to use later mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for his past self to use in the future. Because uh, <laughs> mutants. Because fucking comics. So th- that implies a certain level of cooperation or participation between the two. And that felt new. And so that seemed to be the overall takeaway from me from, from this little story arc. My takeaways was really just from the final scene where it seems like Esme really likes Cable. Yeah. <laughs> like actually likes him and not right. just like, this is my toy for now. 
Right. Unlike um, all the other cuckoos. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then it, it felt like, like we've said like five times already, just kind of getting it out of the way, deal with, dealing with the space nuts, which didn't need to be a thing, but whatever. Right. Dealing with space nice so we can deal with Cult of X in issue five. Right. Flash X of Swords. Yeah, X of Yeah, exactly. Um they they seem to reveal a the face of a uh Cult of X leader at the end of issue three. Was that mm-hmm. somebody you recognized or seemed relevant to you? Yeah. So. Uh, no. Yeah. Part of it is I'm bad at recognizing humans. <laughs> well, and uh, Phil, no- Phil Noto draws a lot of faces the same way, which is fine. That, it's a tremendous yeah. artist, but yeah. And Cult of X is new to this. So maybe yeah. it's just somebody new. Who right. Knows? We'll okay. get more later. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a couple more notes here. One, just <laughs> you told me about the, the Deadpool King of Staten Island and the monsters story arc. And that was funny and all, but Actually seeing the Staten Island monster with the tracksuit and the tank top and the gold chain and the sunglasses, I, I'm in love. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So good. <sighs> yeah. the uh, I like Deadpool as a king. It's fun. Yeah. He's been so much in the last years. It's just so weird. Yeah. Uh, the, the next note that I have is um, Cable's, uh, Old Man Cable's, <laughs> note to Deadpool and the instructions for what to do with his body. If he dies specifically, the note assumed strife was behind it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's another guy who is a, you know, DNA match for cable looks exactly right, man. How weird would it be if kid cable ends up being strife? (laughs) Not outside the realm of possibilities. Right. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. Oh, cable. He's so convoluted. And so unbelievably convoluted. Probably, oh, yeah. oh God, the second most convoluted character that I can think of after his genetic counterpart, Nate, Nate Gray. <laughs> Nate Gray, X Man. Yeah, right. When you have a team of X Men, and then you go and create a mutant and call him X Man. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. I feel like. There's like a checkbox of a convoluted comic book bullshit where it's like one of these and you're already skating on thin ground and probably your entire plot ought to be around it. Two of them, you know, absolute no fly zone. Three or more just like fucking burn it all down. Like (laughs) and one is time travel and the second is clones and the third is alternate realities. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so man. Yeah. So <laughs> is you the know. reason that that list exists. <laughs> yeah, <so> <laughs> <laughs> uh no. I got I got nothing more on uh on cable I the, except I don't think there's for, anything else to talk about. Except for Emma doing the I see you. That that's just a really good piece of comic storyline. Uh, or, or storytelling. Uh, so, okay. I don't know where else to put this, but since we're talking about Emma, I'm yeah. just going to talk. So I have two, I have two things related to Emma. One last week when we talked about the um, 16 million mutants on Genosha. Yeah. We just kind of, it's a fact. And I don't know if we talked about it much, but 
like Emma was on Genosha when this happened. Right. And, and her the only reason why she survived is because her second mutation kicked in where she can turn to diamond. Yep. And so she didn't get crushed or exploded or anything like that. Yep. But like the trauma of being what that buried under like. 16 million corpses of your, you know, countrymen and 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 yeah fellow members of a genetic minority yeah i don't know why that hasn't hit me in those 17 years since i first read that story (laughs) but like that hit me over the last week and i was like oh my gosh like she was in the middle of teaching a class there's like 15 children mutants in her classroom and this is time of the attack and this is after you know her initial students the hellions dying tragically And some some sort of, you know, I don't know how her time with Generation X ended, but if she was on Krakoa at the time, then I assume not good. Yeah, just, oh my gosh, dude, like it puts the Emma's strength of character in like a brand new light for me. Yeah. That like she's lived through so much. Like it's really true. All of all of the like named mutants and characters have been through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like they can, by by the fact that they've been on print for as many years as they have. And yeah, and you know, sadistic writers keep having to invent new terrible things to do to them so that they yeah. have new new character, you know, moments uh, arcs to overcome that. Yeah. But like within Emma's personal timeline, Genosha happened like a couple years ago. Yep. Like yeah. that's not something you just get over. No. <laughs> like oh my gosh, dude, like it just it just kind of shook me for for this last week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing, I ended up looking this up because I had some wires crossed in my head mm-hmm. that we'll t- we can talk about later. But uh, the cuckoos are uh, weapon fourteen, right? Um, from the from the weapon plus program and the mm-hmm. world, blah 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 blah. So uh, we've talked about and we will talk about uh, Phantom X. He is weapon yeah. 13. Wolverine is weapon 10. Um, Captain America is weapon one for other big names that people may know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the Cuckoos uh, are weapon 14 and they're built from the stolen ovaries of Emma Frost and then genetically cloned. To c- They made thousands, but only five of them survived. Right. But anyway, just small, not so fun fact about other <laughs> things that Emma has gone through. <laughs> following off on the tangent here but i i thought it would have been cool if the cuckoos had just like because the idea a cuckoo bird is one that like right lays its eggs in another bird's nest and has you know the other bird take care of them and and hatch the 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 egg for them and i thought it would have been cool if they were basically psychic hijackings by emma of other people's fetuses oh wow <laughs> that would be dark right well that that would imply that she built or had them be made yeah or not implied but that would mean <laughs> i mean as, a, I, as opposed I, to clone i wonder that sounds like a grant morrison plot and i wonder if that was his original intention by naming them the cuckoos mm, you know true. it's the cross of the stepford wives and then you know yeah anyway yeah shall we move on yes x-men number 10 now that we've spent you know, an hour on the we first always do two this. Yeah. issues. Um, 
X-Men 10. Uh, we get to explore Vulcan a little bit. Woo! Gabe yeah. Summers. Yeah. The third I, Summers brother. This is who I was saying at, at the end of last pod when you were, you know, I was, I was kind of teasing that there was going to be an Empire tie-in, a character who has obvious interest in cosmic storylines that you wanted to see more of. Mm-hmm. How'd you feel having a, a Vulcan plot? Thankful. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's one of those odd fits on Krakoa. He's being... an odd fit on Krakoa. Also the way he's being portrayed. Yeah. Um, the, the, for, for those who don't know who Vulcan is, which is like 99% of the, of the population <laughs> of the world. Um, Vulcan is Scott and Alex's third brother. Yeah. And he has insane cosmic level powers. The last time we saw him, he was the king of the Shi'ar. Yeah. So <laughs> so he was he was conceived, maybe not conceived, but uh, yeah, I think he was conceived in a- after uh, Corsair and uh, Cyclops and Clan's mother, Catherine, were abducted by the Shi'ar. And he was artificially raised to adulthood, used uh, for whatever terrible reasons by uh, the Shi'ar Empire and Emperor Daken, or Daken, goddamn. <laughs> Emperor Deken managed to escape to Earth, became one of Professor Xavier's hidden second class of uh, students uh, who confronted Krakoa uh, after the initial class was basically held captive or went on a mission and and was abducted and held against their will. He was part of the rescue mission. That team also lost. That team also included Petra and Sway, two two characters who get a, a cameo oh, here. They're they, on there. Uh, they're the ones who enjoy. That's drinking. why we care. Okay. That's, they're the ones who enjoy drinking. Yeah, they're the party girls. Um, I was gonna ask who they were because I yeah. do not care about them. <laughs> nor have I. Nor do I know who they are. <laughs> right. And so you know the experience of being you know his traumatic upbringing in Shi'ar space plus. Uh, being stuck in an underground cocoon bubble for a decade or so was enough to drive him crazy. And upon his release, he went nuts and took over the Shi'ar Empire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So as the king, of, as the emperor of the Shi'ar Empire, he basically is the center of like three back-to-back <laughs> cosmic crossovers. There's the War of Kings, uh, yep. where he and and Black Bolt go at it. They have their climax ends with Black Bolt screaming and Vulcan going all out. They cause a rip in reality. The rip in reality opens up to the Cancerverse, which we've talked about in other um in other episodes, but the cancer verse is basically where death doesn't exist. And so everything that dies just keeps on coming back and, and morphs and gets creepier and creepier. <laughs> and in realm of Kings, we have them kind of exploring what's over in there. And Vulcan was left in the cancer verse. And that was the last time we saw him uh, when we closed the rift. And so Vulcan being back for Donovex didn't make sense to me. And I was very confused. Yeah. I mean, now we see I, it's easy to assume that he was just resurrected by the five. Like, but they wouldn't. Yeah. But like, but even if he was like Xavier, wouldn't have a confirmation of death. Well, he wouldn't have a mental copy of him. I would assume because last time he was on earth, he was a 
child of the second class. Yeah, like, that would be a he, very dated. <laughs> it would be a dated. It would be a dated copy, in. but it would be a copy. Yeah, that's assuming. Okay, we're also assuming that Xavier's been making copies of these people. I think it's as long as all he's this had time. Cerebro, he's been able to. He brought back like Changeling. Changeling died around the same time. Mm. I think okay, he. Br- I think he brought back Changeling. In fact, uh, I'll have to look it up. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, may I'll allow it for the sake of <laughs> storytelling because it's a very minute uh detail to to complain about. But yeah. Um but yeah, so we get a little we get a little uh tease into what he went through and that he's been messed with by beings of the cancer verse and yeah and so how basically, he was actually resurrected. Yeah, they they like stitched him back together and toyed with him to make him a little more evil than he may have been in the first place but to um, be able to sort of hide it because they say he's he's broken you know, or you know that he's got this power within him this fire inside a broken and twisted host but how broken and how twisted and we kind of get this revelation that they screwed with him mentally in some way while he was there yeah and they, they also said that they're going to they they removed the spark of goodness in him. That's it. And yeah. So there was everything... this flaw. That's his spark of goodness. And they yeah. got rid of it. Yeah. And so he's just going to be this shell of a good person and everything underneath is going to be just evil, evil, evil. Yeah. Um, and so that was super interesting. And then uh, Vulcan Gabe goes on a stroll on the blue area of the moon. He comes across the Kotati and them getting ready to do Empire. And so he starts, he gets rid of their entire lunar orbital base. <laughs> yeah. And you have them being like, yeah, they were talking about something called Krakoa. And they're like, oh, well, maybe we should focus on that. Yeah. So that kind of leads into the X-Men's full tie-in to Empire. One one quick, sorry, one one quick trivia, piece of trivia on uh, Vulcan's backstory uh, before we mm-hmm. move on here. So he's actually the, the third iteration or idea of the third Summers Brother plot. Uh, it had been hinted for a while. Sinister once said, uh, it was talking to Scott and said like, yes, you and your brothers. And then uh, and Scott was like, brothers? Oh, sorry, I meant brother, you know, implying right. that there was a third Summers Brother out there. This is a, you know, so the original intention was that it would be Gambit. Uh, and then they had, <laughs> they had other intentions for Gambit. I mean, yeah. I, I can kind of see it, to be it, honest. Well, it's before Gambit was even a character, right? It's just like he's a guy with who was an orphan and has weird eyes. So it at mm-hmm. least like, you know, had had some potential for making sense. The second was extreme Adam Naramani. The the implication, I think the reason they didn't go to this is because it would be too dark, was that Deken would have raped uh Cyclops's mother and uh, and he would be the the product of that. Interesting. Not something they'd shy away from now, but <laughs> uh yeah. definitely back then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it. The the other thing is that in in this storyline earlier in Don of X, he's been kind of psychotic in talking about fire. This thing has the fire. Mm-hmm. That thing has the fire. And we finally get an explanation for why right. he's his so, sort of obsession with fire. Yeah. Uh, is because the, the cancer first people are saying he has a fire within him. 
Yes. And just for the sake of talking about trivia, there's literally one speech bubble from God knows how long ago where they say a fourth summer's uh, <laughs> brother. So okay. that's still, that's still out there that Hickman could probably just pull from and be like, Hey, by the way, yeah. at any point in time. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I doubt it'll happen, but like the internet is the internet and uh, we'll always remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So we just kind of get sort of just Gabe being, we just, we spent the issue really kind of exploring Gabe and yeah. how powerful he is. He's like, I could have cracked this, entire moon in half if i wanted to i don't want to <laughs> yeah and so it's like it's more just kind of battling his inner nature absolutely and then issue 11 uh it's got so it it centers around magneto but before we talk about magneto i want to talk about this brief scene between the creepy summoner guy and a few of the ex-students uh rock slide yes. Anoli, and i think that's is that Loa? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Loa. they're wandering around. Uh, By the way, we're in Dawn 14 now. Yeah. Yeah. These, these I, I wanted to talk about uh, X-Men 10 and 11 together because they, they really kind of, they were next to each other in our reading list. Uh, Only because we didn't read Empires 1 through 4. Sure. Empire 1 through 4 is technically in between 10 okay. and 11 as far okay. as how these books are constructed. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> So apologies at, continue <laughs> at the, at the meeting point between uh, Krakoa and Arako. Uh, if you remember from the first Dawn of X pod, Krakoa sort of attracted a sibling Island and they joined together and there was the, it was full of monsters and there's this creepy dude in all monochrome, mostly white with some black markings on him. Very uh, Hickman. Who, very, very, very Hickman who's hanging out <laughs> on it. So Rockslide, Anoli, and Loa come across him and he invites them to sit down and play a game. The details are a little sketchy and everything's kind of like strange, but it seems like a, a fun and uh, an engaging game and something that has some sort of strange importance. Rockslide comes to play the game. He chooses a piece and then it changes uh, shape in his fingers to to look like him all the while the summoner guy is talking about fate yeah so the game is called something that we can't read because it's in Arako's language which is different yeah. from Krakoan yeah. and uh so now eventually maybe there's going to be a second alphabet we're gonna to have to go and learn <laughs> but beyond that it roughly translates it, to trial and the game test, yeah. is about weakness and finding your weakness or maybe exploiting the weakness we don't no. Um, and it's so it's written in such a Hickman way of just like, hey, I'm about to put you through a character arc. Yeah. Uh, who and, wants to who wants to arc with me? And Rockslide and steps rock slide. up because he says, What if we don't have any weakness? Yeah, because well, so Rockslide is interesting because he's literally just sentient rock. Yeah. He's made of rock through and through. Yeah, and he can rebuild himself from rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and with whatever he, rock is present, when he yeah, and he can rebuild himself, he can rebuild his body from different rocks. rocks. Yeah, and just like oh, like 
oh man, I'm never going to forget in Utopia when Gambit literally charges him entire his entire body <laughs> and he runs at, oh, this is during Fear Itself and uh-huh. uh, because we have a possessed oh, juggernaut. Right. It's and we have the... and we have them trying to stop Juggernaut, and he just runs at Juggernaut and kinetically explodes from Gambit's charge, and he just rebuilds himself after. That like was... Rockslide has ha- is so cool. Of the like quote unquote new mutants, uh, there's a new X Men series yeah. uh, that got introduced a. Just like after House, 15 House of years M. ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it got introduced just after House of M. And it was kind of just like the 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 new mutants that they want to bring into the X-Men verse. Yeah. And Rockslide has been one of my favorites this entire time. I love his like personality. He's super laid back. He gets jazzed about superhero stuff <laughs> just happening. <laughs> and uh I'm so excited to see where this goes. I really hope that they explore Rockslide or give him a new like level of craziness with his abilities. And I really hope this doesn't get rid of rock slide, whatever this game is. <laughs> yeah. I don't want, I don't want to say bye to rock slide. Right. It's so cool. This is going way off on yet another tangent, but rock slide is part of my, my dream cast of who I would want to see in uh, the next, uh, the MCU X-Men movie, mm. uh, which, who would, which would be, basically like the breakfast club but mutants and that'd be fun he he would be the jock quentin choir would be you know the troublemaker you'd have uh the stepford cuckoos as the the mean girls and m as the sort of like misunderstood popular <laughs> kid try hard or whatever who would be the point of view quote-unquote pro tag <sighs> i don't know i i'm tempted to say choir but m is probably a safer bet Mm, that'd be interesting and there's also room for like uh like prodigy like you know you have the mm. nerd there too yeah prodigy would be fun yeah yeah that'd be interesting <laughs> I, I would like to see it'd be interesting i i, I kind of want i don't want the first x-men like you know your beast and marvel girl cyclops totally i don't want them to be teenagers yeah. In whatever we get in the MCU. Yeah. I, I want agree. them to be adults. I want them to be mature. I want, like, I don't, and that's from a comic perspective, I guess. Like, well, I don't also, want to see their arc. I want to see some new ideas. I, I think it's just uh, from a movie perspective. Like, you've done, they've done that twice. Right. And, you know, they've really hit the limits of what they can do with that plot. And audiences are a little more primed for who these characters are and what they're. Uh, right. So like, like what they did with Spider-Man, with Tom yeah, Holland. Exactly. Uh, they didn't do an origin story. They have he he's figuring out his powers and now he has to figure out his superhero place in the world. That exactly. makes sense. Yeah. Like do something ish similar with the X-Men. Give yeah. me some new faces. Uh, have the other mutants already be established, like the people who are going to be like the mentor types. Totally. Let them be a thing. Totally on board. Oh, fingers crossed. But anyway, okay. the other part um, with, so oh, one, we find out that this, that this kid's name is Summoner because yeah. he calls Apocalypse father. Um, right. And so his name is Summoner. And then also the game doesn't end until the game is end. Like you don't walk away from the game. Right. And they started it. Yep. And the second they start, the Katadi invasion goes. Yeah. 
And so what are they going to do in the next issue? And you, uh, th- th- this subplot is just, the, it's the Jumanji, basically. It's do- it's not going to end. You don't get to end it because you walked away. Like, and it's Summoner says, well, that's ominous. Right? Yes, I am I am inclined to agree. So I, I, I am so excited for whatever's next. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Oh, man. And and so the rest of the the issue follows Magneto. First, there's Exodus doing his sort of traditional role of building up the myth of Magneto and the legend of him, and and just sort of hyping the children of Krakoa on, uh, you know, by telling stories about Magneto's greatness. And then the Katadi invade, and he gets on his battle battle costume, gets back into the classic red and purple, and goes to absolute town. <laughs> So, <laughs> yes, yes, that that is the plot, and I I want to like I want to like explore pieces of what happened. Yeah, but yeah, he absolutely just goes ham on these poor plant people. But um, right. So after the the game thing, and right before we get into Exodus, Exodus talking about the magnificence that is Magneto. Yeah, we have this. I think I think it's so who's the captain commander? I think that's Scott, right? Yeah, that's Scott. Okay, so it's from Scott, which is which is just touching back on on Utopia Scott, which is yeah. like the best Scott. <laughs> but it's so it's it's we have this letter from Scott to the council or to somebody and is just like, hey, you know, I here's here's a review of what's going on. What I really think you should keep an eye on is uh, uh, what of my the highest of my recommendation is enhanced techniques in combat scenarios for mutants with combat experience. And he talks about how we have all these mutants on Krakoa mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. have abilities and they have combat experience. Why are we not letting them explore how we can combine these powers yeah and so in my head i just have like i have what is it what is this a cross tab of just on the <laughs> row you have every mutant and their abilities and then every column you have every mutant and their abilities and you just have how they intersect yep. and how you can use them and the, it's just this is this is prime Scott Summers, and I'm so glad that they're starting to bring it back. I know that Scott was so much fun. And so the the example that they use in this issue is unfucking real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Amara Magma. So they use they use a telepath. Uh, one of the cuckoos to link everybody up so that they're all thinking on the same page. Uh, they've got uh, magma looking through the basically the you know the tectonic currents underneath Krakoa to find a large uh, deposit, unerupted, unerupted deposit okay. of of uh, metallic ore, and ex- you know shoot it up to the surface. And then you have Iceman cooling it down and making it brittle. And then Magneto. It says, be a good boy and cool it down for me. Not a problem. It might be brittle though. Magneto says, broken metal with sharp edges. Whatever will I do with that? (laughs) He proceeds to impale every single Kotati warrior on this island. (laughs) It's so (laughs) wild. And then he sets off against the commander of this Kotati force invasion here, who challenges him to single combat. And so he just drops a fucking satellite on his head. 
I'm sorry, a satellite. Okay, several satellites. <laughs> he drops. He drops one. He the the guy brushes it off. He's like, oh yeah, okay, here, have another. Oh wait, no, have another. <laughs> have a space station. Take care of yourself. Bye. <laughs> like, oh my, he doesn't even move. He moves his head once. <laughs> And that's it. Magneto oh, is insane. God, Magneto Unbelievable. is insane. The uh, the magma Iceman team up with Magneto is one of twenty eight offensive scenarios that is suggested <laughs> by the Captain Commander Scott <laughs> Summers. <laughs> Not to mention the twelve defensive combinations that Magneto is involved in, Let's as recommended Let's by Let's Captain go. Commander Scott oh, Summers. <laughs> so fucking excited give this to me (laughs) and so yeah that was just so much fun and then i really liked uh when they went to go recruit magneto for this invasion and he puts on his red garment yeah i really liked because he's been wearing white this whole time he's been wearing white since i really liked that it showed his three outfits that he's been wearing yeah uh, here and there throughout the last few years he has the classic red and purple he has the all white and he has the all black so the all black he was using in his solo title run oh okay he was doing sort of like for lack of a better term black ops type he was going to different mutant camps and and liberating mutants and Mm. he was doing it all off the grid quote unquote and so he was wearing this black outfit and so the fact that he has all three and the fact that he goes, he straight up says, I may even dress for the occasion. Yeah. He wears his like super villain version. His classic. Yeah. Like that was so cool. I love then, that sort of addressing of yes. different costumes. Totally. The only other time I've seen super people, because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to call him a superhero. Right. <laughs> the only time I've seen other powered individuals address costumes and that it being a statement yeah. was like in Spider-Man. Oh. And it was an entire era called Back in Black. Right. And it was when Spider-Man is taking things seriously. He's not quipping. He's angry. He's upset. And he went and donned his black suit. Not the symbiote suit, but it was... It, yeah. When he got rid of the symbiote, he started wearing a black suit to make people think he had a symbiote. He uh-huh. donned the black suit again. And like that was his message to the people that he's dealing with, that he's fucking serious. And like <laughs> having Magneto go and pull the you know, the villain super costume. villain yeah red classic suit and he's like dressed for the occasion because yeah. i'm gonna go all out i'm not gonna go be diplomatic here i'm not right. going out in white like that was and, so and, cool and then it, it bookends the issue with going back to exodus spreading the gospel of magneto to the children of krakoa he basically frames magneto's actions that day as those of a hero says that is what a hero is it's what a hero does now what's your hero's name and they all say magneto real quick because i can't let this slide one more instance of talking about costumes that i loved was at the very beginning of joss whedon and john cassidy's uh, astonishing x-men arc they were you know making the break from the grant morrison era where they wore those uniforms with the you know the puffy jackets and so on you know, the black leather, the, you know, trying to be more like clothing. And that was kind of a a conscious attempt to shed the tropes. Yeah. The tropes or trappings of the superhero that don't quite fit with the X-Men in the Morrison era. They weren't superheroes first. They were a school first. And a lot of these sort of unconscious tropes of superheroes, 
they inherited, but they weren't really a, a formative part of why the X-Men were the X-Men, what they did and who they were. But at the start of Joss Whedon's arc said, no, we are mutants. We are a school. We're all of these things, but it's good PR <laughs> to be <laughs> superheroes on top of that, to be visible, saving the world, to look like the heroes, like the Fantastic Fours and the Avengers that everybody knows. And Beast says, am I the only one who's excited to see the outfits? and to me that is like a really instructive moment on the current state of superhero storytelling it's postmodern in a way where superheroes dress as superheroes so that the public knows they're superheroes you know and this is something that honestly like informs the way that there there was a lot of like dark and gritty retellings uh you know uh, of superhero stories and like trying to get them into armor or trying to get them into street clothes or something that's more more like you know something tactical or or less pulpy and silly but the truth is because the trope of superheroes exist <laughs> they follow the trope of superheroes to identify themselves as superheroes it's incredibly postmodern and very interesting to me <laughs> And tangent. And tangent. No, yeah, it's um, using costumes to make a statement is so rarely used. Yeah. It's not something that you update just to sell more toys. <laughs> right. Except that it is. <laughs> um, uh, so my only other <laughs> takeaway here is my frame of reference for Exodus is this like position of worship of Magneto. Yeah. Like when he was first like introduced. Yeah. Cause that's how you explained it to me 25 years ago as, <laughs> as kids. Yeah. Um, and even like in the X-Men game, uh, rise of Magneto or whatever, like the second to last boss is Exodus because he's right. the one that's keeping you from getting to his big guy. Magneto. Totally. So, but yeah. so it was nice to see kind of the quote unquote throwback to that, which we've seen once before around the campfire yeah. um, in Dawn. But like now it kind of sticks out to me that it's a little odd or potentially useful, depending on your perspective, that you have a me- another member of the Quiet Council putting Magneto up on this giant pedestal the way he is. Like, yeah. it, it makes me fearful that Exodus will even have his own voice, or if he's only just going to be an echo of whatever Magneto says. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. And I think that that's about building a power base for Magneto within the council. You already see, like, Shaw angling for additional council seats Uh, and you know, they're, they're actively politicking within that body to try and build influence and consensus amongst them to, to try and get an outsized slice of power beyond one twelfth of the governing body of Krakoa. Yeah. And like, we already have, I guess we'll talk about it in, in shortly, but like Emma and Kate are very much on the same page on stuff. Yep. But so is is I don't know because of all twelve members of the council, I feel like Exodus has been the least explored, like historically. I can see that, yeah. And so there was a part of me that that was hoping to be able to get that exploration. Mm. Or is this just going to be basically there's two Magnetos on the council? Right. We shall see. Wolverine. Wolverine. So 
Yeah, I did. I didn't have much here either. Wolverine, you know, he, he takes a sort of a, a night out for reasons which which I'll get into in a sec for the notes. Uh, head out of Krakoa for a little bit, and he goes to a nowhere dead end bar out in the middle of some wintry wasteland. And it turns out that it's populated entirely by members of a mutant trauma support group who are all looking for revenge. And so they drug him and they throw him down into a a frozen lake so that he will literally freeze because they've made a deal with the vampires and that they're going to take his body and tap him for blood. Wolverine gets rescued by some, some rebellious punk kid vampires, makes his way out, makes his stand, and Omega Red is in the middle of it. Yep, that's all it is. I mean, yeah. there's really nothing really to talk about here. Yeah, we it, can make this light. Uh, nothing, the, yeah. <laughs> it, it, there are parts of it that were kind of silly, like, okay, they go through all this trouble to put him in a block of ice, and it takes an issue and a half to do it, and then he literally escapes within like two pages, but whatever. Right. He, uh, yeah, the only other takeaway here is uh, Dracula got more Wolverine's blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now Dracula and two others can walk around during the day. But the, then one uh, of them gets killed at the end of yeah. the fifth issue. So My only note here is just a character note for Wolverine. And that's it's not just that he doesn't trust the error of good feelings on Krakoa. It says he doesn't believe it. He wants to, but he can't. Not yet. It's not just because... It's too nice or, you know, like we've saw at the beginning of X-Force or like that uh, being vigilant keeps you sharp and there's always going to be enemies and stuff like that. It's not that sort of hypervigilance. It's just the simple fact of his life. It says every time he's fallen in love, it's ended with grief or betrayal. Every time he's believed in a new beginning, it's come to an end. He's done as much wrong as right. There's there's a balance to life, but there's no balance here on Krakoa. Not that he sees anyway. So, yeah. It's a good note for Wolverine's motivations that that uses his backstory well. Yeah, I've said it plenty of times, but like I'm really thankful for Wolverine not changing character. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah, he just oh man, he's kind of being the realist. Like Krakoa is great, but it's not perfect. He's <laughs> always been the the temper to the idealism of the x-men mission you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. and that's the thing is like every group needs someone to play devil's advocate or ask the hard questions right and i'm not convinced that the quiet council has that right though it has like nine villains and three heroes totally (laughs) yeah yeah no i completely uh, agree i mean the closest thing is maybe gene and even the gene yeah. we've been given in Dawn, uh, not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, a little more willing to compromise and make deals. I, I mean, and that's why Logan could never work on something like the Quiet Council. He can't right. compromise. He can't make deals. Yeah. He's just gonna. He's gonna say fuck you. I'm gonna do my own thing. Right. So the my only actual note of substance. And I don't know if it's a symptom of I need the character to be like this for the story or if it's like a true introspection or look into the type of person that they are. But Xavier is huge. Like he really focuses on the image of the council. Yeah. And how antagonistic 
uh, Logan is acting is going to tarnish the image of the council. Mm. And so he needs to act better. Yeah. And Logan's like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) It's strange to see an Xavier privately because he's talking to Logan psychically here. Yeah. It's strange to see him psychically beg, like, yeah, stop acting like you. (laughs) (laughs) The image of the council is so important. Right. Please. And it's just like, ah, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just, it's just odd. But anyway, the underlying tone as far as storyline setup is we have vampires doing like reverse human tra- trafficking and getting other vampires into cities that are not in the spotlight to recruit, to go and make more vampires, sparsely populated areas to increase the vampire ranks. To the point where they eventually want to deal with the mutants, but they're not ready yet. Yep. That was really it. <sighs> move along to X Factor. Let's move along. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's just not much. Nope. There. So it, not, that, not that it was bad. It's just not a consequential storyline. Right. So we got two issues of X Factor. Yep. X Factor issue number two and X Factor issue number three, which breaks us in from Dawn 14 to 15. Before we get into the plot, <laughs> there's pop-ups with Krakoan alphabet on them and I spent time translating it oh I I did it bothers me because what so far every time they've done this the Krakoan out text is literally just the English text that's right (laughs) right above it Uh uh-huh and I'm like, why am I wasting my time with it? Like, this is the perfect time to do like some cool stuff. Yeah, give some Easter eggs here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is what it is. It's not a big deal. It was a wasted 90 seconds. <laughs> also, Krakoan language is stressful because they don't use spaces. <laughs> right. Now that we're on the subject of the Krakoan alphabet, I'm on a page uh-huh. here with iBoy's shirt. And it has a big, long message in Krakoan that I didn't translate. Do you have that one? Sure. Issue two, page seven. Uh, the first word's Krakoa. Q-U-E. So K. <laughs> oh, it's H-E. Oh, que hermosa. Que hermosa eres. Oh, que hermosa eres. Que hermosa eres. Oh, my gosh. It's Krakoan in Spanish. Deep cut there. How beautiful is it? how how very beautiful you are yeah that's adorable <laughs> so i said it in the first issue the one we did the last giant size but like i really like that they're doing more with iboy yeah um he's the second round of new mutants that they did of new x-men <laughs> Rockslide being the first round as far as Actually, from the last 20 years that i've been reading well i mean so like there's like the like cannonball Era. Right, 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 and I guess the arguable difference there's New Mutants and there's New X Men. The Rockslide team was like New X Men, yeah, and I'm only calling them mutants because that's what they are, and not necessarily the team New Mutants. Sure, yeah, <laughs> because but, New Mutants was the name of one of the teams within the New X Men. Yeah, it's all over the place. So there have been different rounds of introductions of yeah. like new named characters that yeah. they can or, or may not use. And most of them fall by the wayside or yeah. just show up as like side characters that people still know. And uh, here, here's this. He was one of the post 
decimation round of new yeah. mutant characters. So yeah, iBoy is getting explored and and it makes me happy. So so at the end of the first issue, we have proof of John Bree's death. And so we start the issue with her being brought back. And there is a present for X Factor left on the door and it's filled with blood. Right. This turns out to be a message that is leading them to Mojo World. And so the team decides, yeah, we'll just step in our gate to Mojo World because we have one of those. And (laughs) it's heavily implied within this that a mutant died on Mojo World. And that's kind of their thing is to investigate mutant deaths. So they go, they investigate, they have to jump through all these hoops in this very interesting iteration of Mojo World, which I want to get deep into in a sec. They get sponsored first by Spiral, and then they come across Shatterstar. They find out that the dead mutant is Sophia Montega, aka Wind Dancer, finish up their investigation and head on home, but they aren't able to bring Shatterstar back with them because he's got this neural implant that's keeping him from being able to be his real and authentic self. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, So on their way to Mojo world, John Paul is like, we need new uniforms. Uh Uh-huh. So introduce new uniforms. And I don't like Polaris's crown that she has. She's got these like metal squigglies going around her head, looking like her spider sense is going off all the time. Yeah. At first I thought those were like emotion things. And then it was in every single cell with her. And I was like, uh-huh. oh no, it's a crown. <laughs> I definitely thought it was her powers. I did not pick up that it was a crown. Yeah. I mean, arguably it's her powers keeping it up because it's just floating behind her head. Uh-huh. But like, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, at this point, it's a self meme. So I just kind of have to say it, but yeah. Mojo calls them muties. Right. And I'm like, well, okay. I. <laughs> For myself, I'm done with it. I get it. Fine. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but I made such a deal out of it over the last couple of giant, giant size episodes that I feel like if it gets thrown out there, just I can't not acknowledge it. A couple things. First of all, just want to talk about Sophia because she's not actually in this alive, yeah. only her dead body. It's interesting that she would end up in Mojoverse, especially this Mojoverse, because she's not. So she was with that New Mutants team that was introduced at the same time as Rockslide, the team yeah. within the New X Men that's literally called New Mutants. <laughs> and so it was like her and Elixir and Wither and Wallflower, who was killed off, and Icarus, who was killed off, and Prodigy and Surge. Anyway. So she, she was the most competent of all of them. Like she was kind of like the shoulder to cry on the natural leader. She's Venezuelan. She has wind powers that were like remarkably well developed by that point. Like she could use them to listen in on faraway conversations by like using the wind to blow the sound waves towards her or like for smell and for, you know, more offensive things. Like she was a really cool character. I liked her a lot. And then she got depowered on oh. M day and she had a brief run. This is according to the wiki. I never read these, but she was part of a new warriors team of depowered mutants that used, you know, like tech suits or something to be able to fight crime and be super people again. Hmm. Uh, it was like her and Jubilee. And I think like 
beak or somebody. I don't know. And then she disappeared completely because they don't have much use for a mutant without mutant powers. And so I hope that she gets used now that she has been repowered and reborn because I really liked her as a character way back when. Cool. Next note, let's just talk about Mojoverse. So this Mojoverse is basically a surveillance state where everybody is competing within the attention economy to have surveillance on them essentially and have Basically, people paying yeah. attention to them you know they call them pods so whoops here we are <laughs> <laughs> but everybody is basically a live streamer or watching other people live stream and uh competing for attention and shatterstar has become the most successful one by just like constantly fighting in in giant buckets of blood and he has it like I said before, a neural implant, which kind of limits the amount of free thought that he's able to have. And this seems to be a standard thing amongst streamers on Mojoverse as part of their like sponsorship contracts. So it's basically the witness <laughs> from uh, Nomon. Yeah, but isn't the witness? In- I mean, in not general? with, but you're getting witness vibes. I'm getting witness vibes. Yeah. So do we want to talk about why Windancer died? Yeah, let's do it. So Windancer had a channel, I guess, and she was doing well. And then her viewership was starting to go down, which means less success. And so she put out a poll of like, I'll do whatever the top voted comment is. Because that's very like TikTok, YouTube yeah facebook all that stuff and the number one comment was kill yourself or die basically and she was like well let's give them what we want what they want and so we don't know how we just know that she died on stream she was killed on stream because that's what the viewers wanted and so my god yeah talk about our current crowdsourced surveillance dystopia oh my yeah like that can in itself go off we should just give that issue to the to the ethics boys and just let them (laughs) just run with it yeah oh my gosh dude that's that's wild yeah that's wild that this is the state that mojo versus in that we're even tangentially exploring it well because mojo verse has always been a sort of satire option to look at trends within the spectacle entertainment state of yeah, you yeah. know uh, of our real world lives and so in the 80s it was about tv and cable tv and the jump for ratings and it's sort of evolved with our present day technology to different types of entertainment dystopias beautiful concept love mojoverse always want to see more would love to see I don't know how they could ever do it, but I would love to see a Mojoverse movie. That's crazy. That's so funny because, okay, so I've never had that kind of awareness about the parody and commentary on our world because yeah. I, I, it's not something I think about when I'm reading. Totally. I, it is now, but even uh-huh. then it's in retrospect. It's never yeah. like as I'm reading. Sure. And so uh, whenever I come across a storyline 
that involved Mojo and him trying to get views and this, that, and the other thing, yeah. it always bothered me. <laughs> I was always like, damn it, this isn't going to move anything along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, especially hearing your stance and view on it, like, I almost like feel guilty. Like, <laughs> I was like, man, like, I've done a terrible job at like ingesting. I haven't been fair to Mojo and his exploits. <laughs> the last time I saw Mojo was in X-Men Black. He okay. had a single issue. The X-Men Black was like six single issues, one each focusing on a different villain. Sure. And just what's going on basically around when Disassembled happened. Yeah. And Mojo's storyline was he found love, basically. He, he tried. Okay. Uh, his guy, what's his like? Major right Domo. Man. Yeah, Major Domo convinced him to try online dating. <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes on a date with this woman and she totally accepts him for the large, massive, bulbous existence that he is. Yeah. <laughs> and he like leaves their first date feeling like really good. He's like, huh, that was that was interesting. I might try to stay in contact with her. And like it gave me this like sort of humanizing point of view of, of yeah. mojo and i was like wow. okay i'll see more mojo that's fine yeah. <laughs> but that's that was the last time we saw him and then we get to see him here and yeah. just being full on mojo and i just have with that issue and then now our conversation here i have a more uh, a liking towards mojo now so I, I'm, I, I'm excited to see more now <laughs> i'm really surprised that they didn't do more with the donald trump mojo comparison because it's right there i nah. mean you know, having building your entire like empire, political structure, ruler of a world based around your television ratings and, <laughs> yeah. and, and the ego and the showmanship and the fragility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see it. I absolutely see it. So we spent time in the issues getting at least a quick snapshot view of the top five uh, channels. I'm Mojo sorry, Verse. I can't let I can't let it go. I can't. You just see Mojo, you know, because Mojo has the the little things like pulling back, his, pulling open yeah. his eyelids. Can't uh-huh. you see that? Except with the like Donald Trump reverse raccoon spray tan eyes. Stop! It's <laughs> <laughs> so mean. Oh my gosh! You're hilarious. That's all. <laughs> but yeah, and then so we just we get we get some scenes here and there exploring like Dokken talking to Jean-Marie and how like this series feels like the characters are the least changed from pre-dawn to post-dawn. Mm-hmm. And I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm having I'm having a great time. I can't wait to read more of this. You know who else I'm really enjoying in this series is Daken. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that, yeah, that's what prompted me to say that. The, the, his scene with Jean-Marie, where he sets up like he's going to seduce her and then starts interrogating her instead. Because Okay, so he gets, the rest of the team goes to Mojoverse, but when they uh, get there, they have to state their intentions, right? Of why, why they, you know, basically uh, prove their worth to get a sponsor to stay and he is strangely enough too honest and he doesn't make the cut and so he stays behind and there was an exchange earlier where 
somebody, I think it was Prodigy asks, so your mutant power is basically that you're a slut? And he says, yeah, basically. And then he turns to John Marie and he says, so. (laughs) (laughs) And then later, Jean Marie says, uh, Akihiro thinks I'm sexy? Huh. (laughs) And then he goes back and they start kind of flirting a little bit and they get kind of deep into a conversation. And he's got the pheromone powers. So, like, maybe he's manipulating her. Maybe this isn't uh, an authentic conversation, but he seems very casual. He's like, listen, hear me out. Do you know what Pokemon are? You know, (laughs) (laughs) like he's going in like all of these, like not obviously manipulative directions in order to have what seems like a real conversation. And then he says, have I earned enough goodwill to ask you a personal question now? And she says, sigh, I suppose so. Yes. And he turns it straight to business. He says, what's up with the guy you were in what Bellingham to hook up with? And she uses her super speed and disappears. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's, that is, and then he's that like, has always been duck hen. Yeah. And it's just so nice to see. <laughs> and, and then he's just like sitting over his food and being like, damn it. Yeah. And it's just vulnerable and interpersonal and interesting in like such a sophisticated way. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I, I like this a lot. Yeah, me too. That is the duck hen that we got pretty much almost every time we see him pre Hawks Pox is like disarmingly charming. Yeah. But never losing focus on his goal. Yep. Like he has a reason behind what he's doing and what he's saying and who he's sleeping with and right. like all of this stuff. And it's just, but, but he, previously, I've never seen previously, it seemed way more self-serving. I think is the difference for me. It was sure. Whereas yeah. now it seems like he really is trying it. Maybe I'm being manipulated, but it seems like he really has like interiority and, emo- and an emotional life. And he's trying to like make connections with people. Ah, uh, got you. Yeah. Uh, the way I saw it was just, he has a goal and that's what he's sure. working his way towards. Yeah. And it could be a blend of both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. I really want to see, Dakin and Logan hanging out. Like, yeah, we haven't seen much of that. And Laura X twenty three is there. Like Laura well, and and Dakin, she's in have, she's in the vault now. But yeah, oh, that's true. Uh, Laura and X twenty three have had like, for lack of a better term, team ups. Yeah, where Laura has inspired Dakin to be a hero, mm-hmm. um, and that was really fun to watch and read and yada yada. But like, there's enough Logan connection that he should have. A Logan house <laughs> and <laughs> right? not just be a roommate of the summer's house. <laughs> right. For sure. Like, Especially if he's hooking up with Gene, you'd think that they'd want to have a separate spot. Privacy. Unless they're a thruple. And I you know think who's, they are now. You know who's the ultimate Krakoa thruple is freaking Xavier Magneto and Apocalypse. It's such the <laughs> like that meme of like, hey, we saw you across the bar and we liked your vibe. <laughs> right? <laughs> Man, that just oh, I want more. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that was that was good. That was fun. I have oh, one good last thing from X Factor, and that's mm-hmm. just Shatterstar. Has he been in anything since the X Factor run ended? Since his X Factor run? Um no. Okay. Interesting. I would like to see more Shatterstar. I'm sure that it seemed like 
there's no way they'll let this dangle forever. And I hope he finds his way back. Me too. The previous X Factor run, I guess. Um, Right. Peter David's X Factor run. Peter David's Um, second X Factor run. Second X Factor run absolutely made me fall in love with Shatterstar. Yeah, for Um, sure. If we get Shatterstar back, I want that Shatterstar, but who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. That Shatterstar is only one person's interpretation of said character because right. there's been a few. Yeah. And so, like, you know, is there going to be a new one that I get to fall in love with? Or is it going to be, or am I going to be stuck mentally, reactively comparing it to Peter David's Shatterstar and right. disappointed? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I have to say anything better than Jeff Loeb's Shatterstar. So, <laughs> or, <Okay>. <laughs> or, or, or Rob Liefeld's Shatterstars. Actually, yeah. I mean, he had some yeah. rough beginnings. The, the, the bar is kind of low when you're comparing anything good. to Rob Liefeld. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but I agree. I, I want. I hope Shatterstar comes back because mm-hmm. he he just over the last years has been a really fun character. Yeah. Okay. New mutants. New mutants. I'm too so like not so much happened, but enough points happened in New Mutants that I thought this was two issues, but it was only one. Yeah. Here we were thinking that the next story arc was going to be the New Mutants dealing with the Docs website. Right, yeah. <laughs> and nope. they did it in one. one <laughs> they did issue. it in one issue. That's um, fine. Yeah, that's fine with me. Because they, they did it really well. They did it really well. And their approach to solving this problem yeah. was, I think, really elegant. Yeah. And something that, how great would it be if we had the same thing in real life? But... <laughs> So for a quick recap, Docs is this website that anti-mutant people can use to report mutant sightings, give addresses, give cities, give like time. And they have people posting up at all of the gates in, in America, basically, all the Krakoan gates being like, these mutants came out at this time right. and these mutants went back through the gate. So keep an eye out uh, somewhere in Milwaukee, you have the mutant known as rock slide walking around. And so it's a very toxic web- website. Yeah. And so at the end of the last issue and the last run, the new mutants decided that they're going to deal with this website somehow. Mm-hmm. And we have what their idea is in this issue. Yeah. So they show up. And the the docs guys are saying, like, take out your phones, film everything. And they rough him up a little bit. They punch the guy in the face once or twice. They hold a sword to his throat. But mostly they just lecture about all of the mutants who have been lynched, essentially, because of docs' activities. And then they plug a leafy Krakoan USB stick into one of their laptops and make it so that whenever anybody makes an update to docs their own location and name is uploaded along with it it's it's gorgeous so if you're gonna go and post some hate location about the mutants when you post your contact information shows up too yeah and that's just like my note here is that's not how computers work but cool (laughs) it's like when i was making fun of that issue of uh 
well, basically every 90s X-Men story where they hack the entire government from from one computer. Right. From a computer with a floppy disk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not how the internet works, but this is how the mutants decide the internet works. And I'm here right. for it. Like that is just like that's a fantasy at this point. And it's not even something that I feel like would last very long at all in the real world. But like, man, just if websites ended up having that kind of transparency uh, for the hate that gets posted everywhere, like, man, I mean, I feel like initially there'd be a lot more violence, (laughs) but down the line, I just, it would be, the world would be so different so much nicer <laughs> um, minorities and, and hate groups and yeah hate groups <laughs> man and then glob ends up being the emotional core of this story yeah glob loses his cool and then in the doc's headquarters he punches the head guy yep. and then glob for those of you who don't know is his mutant power is that when it manifested his skin and muscle and meat just turned into this pink transparent. It's, it's paraffin wax, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so you can still see his organs and his skeleton. Yeah. And then it's all surrounded by this paraffin pink wax. And and his eyeballs are just look all cartoony and goofy out of their socket. And so he has like no facial expressions. Yeah. And they showed so much passion in how they angled the camera on yep. Glob in these two pages. Yeah. It was so cool because yeah. Glob has always been like, he's big, he's tall. He looks like he's like six foot eight or something. And like, he, and he's like always thick too. He's super thick and he's always hunched over. Yeah. Like he's, he wants to be in the background. Yeah. And like, he's always just kind of, the background character just keep looking at people, keeping an eye on things, and and he was making everybody food in earlier New Mutants yeah. arcs. He's a real he like wants to homebody caretaker. He's feeding chickens here, like yeah, he's a real low key kind of guy. He says to them like, "All my life, I've done, I've had to deal with people like you." And then later, he opens up to magic, and turns out that his dad was a bigot, raised him to be a bigot. And then when his mutant powers develop, his family turned against him and just all of this, like, I know I've talked in in the past pods about how they're not really examining much of within Krakoa and this mutant separatist status quo and nation, they're not examining much of the family knock-ons of like, these people have human parents, human brothers and sisters, and they're just not going to see them again not going to you know they're just all going to choose race over family and i mean this is kind of one of the similarities of like with lgbt communities you know a lot of these people don't feel comfortable within these families are were actively disowned or shunned by their families and went and found this chosen community this chosen family to belong to and this is exactly what's up with Glob. And he gives this beautiful, heartfelt monologue about 
how he was raised with hate and anger. And, and it puts the context of him being in Quentin Quire's Omega Gang during Grant Morrison's run, in, mm-hmm. you know, like why he fell in with this group who was like trying to start a riot at the school and when they were inducting human students and says, uh, I was so full of anger. And then one day I realized what I was doing and how I was just the same as my dad. I don't know if I want to call it an epiphany, just a moment of clarity. I was repeating the cycle. I knew it wasn't going to end well for me. I was letting the anger eat away and it wasn't healthy. It needed to be better. And he's feeding chickens. He says, I've been trying so hard. I've been so happy here on Krakoa. Like we finally have this thing that's ours. We could live the life we were meant to. It should be it. It should be happy. It should be safe. We shouldn't be afraid anymore. So when I was face to face with those jerks and saw how they wouldn't leave us alone, how they just wanted us to suffer, it just reminded me so much of my dad and I broke. Oh man. Glob. No, right. And again, like you can't see his facial expressions, but like yeah. in the way so much in the words that they chose. And and yeah, and and the 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 angle and the and the the posture and blocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing that. Yeah. This is, this is incredible the, scene. This is one of the, the things that I love about comics. Yeah. When you get to, when you get these scenes. Yep. Absolutely. And these characters who you see in the background or, you know, uh, are able to, to have this, these sorts of moments. Yeah. The only other thing that happened is it's like side. Hey, by the way, this is also happening um, with Nova Roma. Right. We've had a few short peeks into Nova Roma previously in New Mutants. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these mutant hunting monster things here in Nova they're, Roma. Yeah, just they're being controlled by this blonde elf looking lady. Yeah. We don't know and, who she is, right? I don't think so. Okay, because I, I didn't recognize her. But yeah, basically, Nova Roma's gone. And I didn't, Nova Roma didn't even really stand out in my mind as like a place of interest. <laughs> I just, I just want, so it was retconned away at one point, and that was really annoying. It was like, oh, it was just an illusion by Celine. It's there. It's not really a Roman colony. It was a bunch of abducted people who were all led to believe that they were in a Roman colony or whatever. And thankfully, they re-retconned that back so that it is actual authentic Nova Roma because that's so much cooler. Yeah. Anyway. Nova Roma seems to be massacred. Yeah. So... <laughs> We'll have to see what's up with that. Mm-hmm. Marauders? Okay, Marauders, 11 and 12. Issue 11 is the funeral of Kitty, saying goodbye to Kitty. Yep. And then we also get the actual resurrection of Kitty. <laughs> right. Like Christmas. We figured that out. And then in Marauders 12, you have Kitty kind of just getting back into the world. Like, it's very like, hey, let's spend two issues getting Kitty back. Sorry, I- Kate. <laughs> as Let's if the Kate back. as if the cover to Don 15 wasn't a spoiler or anything right because it just has her with the knuckle tattoos that she gets at the end of Marauders 12 that say kill Shaw yeah and you're like well she comes back all right and so yeah. maybe that's why it felt anticlimactic to me because I yeah. knew she was going to come back somehow <laughs> yeah yeah I see that and also it was anticlimactic in that it wasn't that the resurrections had been working this whole time. They just didn't realize that they, she was phasing when she died. And so they had to like phase her out rather than have her burst out of her little gold ball egg. That's kind of silly, especially after 
all like she's been dead for like how many issues now? Like eight. Yeah. And the rage, like, I don't know. Like dead <laughs> for more of Marauders than she was alive. Yeah. Almost. And yeah, the rage. Seeing what Emma, Storm, and Iceman and Bishop to a degree yeah. went through. Yeah. Over her death. Yeah. To just be like, oh, she was just phasing the skinner. I don't know. It it felt not unearned, but like No, I'm with you. Empty. Yeah. It <sighs> yeah. They did so much with her death only to just be like, oops, we screwed up. She's actually okay. Yeah. As far as a funeral is concerned, it was beautiful. I liked it. It was generally a good yeah. send-off. I liked that it there was no speech. It was just reading a letter from Kurt to Kate. Yeah. And then again, seeing more Emma. And now I'm just here for Emma for some reason. I used to love to hate her. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like it took a really long time for me to accept her as an X-Man. Um, yeah. And these little like snippets that you've sent me from like past 90s issues of her uh-huh. like little conversations here and there and then like the trauma she went through with Genosha and the fact literally she just wants to be a teacher <laughs> yeah like she you yeah know, she just, it almost seems it, like and i feel like it's because of screen time but like it almost feels like emma took this the hardest yeah losing kate absolutely well she blames herself yeah because it was her idea you know she recruited her to to be the red queen and to lead the marauders and all of that And like, they have such a complicated history because it was Kitty's first day at Xavier's when she abducted her and and nearly killed her, basically. And, you know, they revisited that during Whedon's run and all that. So, yeah. Yeah. And just the interactions between the two of them during Whedon's run and Astonishing X-Men. Yeah. That's, that was when I started to really like Emma. Yep. And like, there's this like, there's this antagonistic respect and now supportive respect between the two of them. Yeah. And it's been such a side plot for the two of them. Yeah. To like go through this relationship together. Yeah. Yeah. Such an arc. And for them to come this far and, yeah. and have developed this amount of trust in each other is yeah. really incredible. Yeah. Oh man. And just watching Emma go through like her grief here literally wearing black which yeah. is so anti-emma <laughs> i know and then lockheed shows up and she's like oh my gosh you you, you survived i'm so happy to see you show me what happened yeah and she sees from lockheed's memory that it was shaw and yeah. oh my gosh and, and also the, the coloring there because yeah. so this is happening at night no lights are on. So yeah. everything is like cool blues, yeah. and blacks, and a little bit of white. Which, and then, which fits Emma's color scheme so much yeah. in general. And then you get the single cell scene of Shaw, and it's bright yellow. Yeah. It's the gunshot. is this disgusting smirk on his face. Yeah. And it pops from those two pages so much. Like, just yeah. from like super far back, it just draws this attention. Wow. Yeah. And like, it's so beautiful to see. And, oh man. It, and then you just, the rage of Emma and I get it. And she's so upset. And, but like, she's like, no, like focus. Yeah. Let's, let's do this the right way. She pulls herself back. Oh man. She's such not a villain anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Um, 
Oh, I love the Marauders title so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have Aurora meeting with someone from the X desk. Yeah, that was interesting because they've only, I mean, we've been seeing some messages from the X desk in the little full page text pages, you know, notes and uh, on comings and goings and, and their operations and stuff like that. But now we actually see character's name is Dolores from the X desk and she's in a wheelchair storm arranges to meet her on a subway car in DC. She says, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the tip yeah. that helped us stop these uh, drug counterfeiters who were trying to give bad drugs to people and blame us. And we replaced it with good drugs. So now Verendi gave away perfectly fine Krakoan medicines and you saved a great many human lives and spared Krakoan international incident and wasted Verendi millions on the black market. And she laughs. So mm-hmm. interesting development in really in Krakoa's, you know, ability to do soft power diplomacy and cooperation with other countries, even the aspects of foreign governments who are there to put a stop or, or a check mark on them. And there's a, a follow-up later where it turns out that, you know, she declares her competing interests. Her mother is dependent on Krakoan medicines and, and so on. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. I thought it was kind of odd, but I guess because it, it tied into, I guess, the Marauders uh, antagonist organization, it fit here as opposed to like an X-Men side thing. But it's a fun connection that I didn't know I wanted. <laughs> yeah. As far as like who's sending these X-desk memos. Yeah, absolutely. My next note here, if we're going through that, after Resurrection... Kurt says, this is a miracle. And Tempest says, it took 18 times, but who's counting? And Kurt says, 18, is that right? And uh, Hope says, yeah, is something wrong? And he says, no, not at all. Is there something significant about the number 18? Or am I just not that too, I know of. too That's deep what I'm in Nomad that I'm looking for significance no, in numbers? Okay, so <laughs> the direct answer is yes, there is something significant. What that significant significance is, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I have to wonder if like that's going to relate to a scripture in Kurt's religion or something. Right. Yeah, totally. And on the 18th day or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cat was so, reborn. so definitely yeah. need to definitely need to remember 18. Yeah. Remember 18. And the other thing is just after her resurrection, Kitty and Emma have a private conversation, a telepathic conversation talking about, they know that it's Shaw and start to talk about their next steps. And there's this great scene, rather than using telepathy speech bubbles in issue 12, they're talking through like plans and Shaw saw us coming and he made a move first, didn't he? And Emma says, yes, I got it all from Lockheed. Kate says, show me. Emma says, very well. And then a panel with both of them, no dialogue, eyes blanked out. And so that's how you know that now Kate knows what happened to her, what Shaw did. And Emma says, nothing changes. We stick to the plan. Kate says, no, I have a better idea. Emma says, what are you thinking? Another panel of them, no dialogue, eyes blank, irises to denote telepathic conversation. And then the next panel, Kitty just determined look on her face, says he deserves it. And Emma 
displays more emotion than I've ever seen on her face. Just absolute uh, shock and then laughter and applause bravo Catherine! it will be done <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so i am excited for whatever this is yes yes and hopefully it's not one of those gene gray's plan for world peace and sold get everyone sold on it but never have to do it because we change titles thing right but <laughs> but this this is also just a, a great use you know, as a comics writer, I have to nerd out about this. A great use of visual storytelling to convey telepathy. But, you know, so you know telepathy is going on, but they yeah. chose not to put the speech bubbles in there to add to the narrative tension of the reader not knowing something that the characters do. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Um, Absolutely. And then there's just a series of reunions that Kitty has with. Charles, Emma, Aroro, Rachel, Kurt, Ilyana, Logan. And they're just all so meaningful and soulful and so many good hugs. Mm. And it just really underscores how in so many ways, Kate's just the emotional center of Krakoa. You know, like she she was everybody's kid in Mm -hmm. the 70s and 80s X-Men. And she grew up with them. Like she's really like the prime success story. Yeah. In so many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. More so than literally any other mutant they've brought on in the last 60 years. Yeah. <laughs> like Kate, Kate has really come into her own and she, yeah. but they do not forget for lack of a better phrase, where she came from. Yep. And like all these people that she's connected to, it's wild. Yep. And then Shaw brings her a gift <laughs> and she has a, a very, very ominous hug and says thank you for your gift sebastian and then goes off to get new knuckle tattoos because her resurrected body didn't have them yeah (laughs) but now they say kill shaw and a cool scene with the tattoo artist oh my gosh (laughs) yeah that has so much weight uh yeah as and i i hate to make assumptions about a character we know nothing about and yeah like but like if you were to judge books by their cover, you have this tattoo artist with like multiple facial piercings mm-hmm. and multi multicolored hair and right. tattoos all over her body. Yeah. Uh, one assumes that she has a, a storied history. Yeah. <laughs> so the tattoo artist is like, I almost never ask, but I'll make an exception hinting towards like, yeah. why are you asking me to put kill Shaw on your hands? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, it's the name of the man who hurt me. The tattoo artist gets super serious. Yeah. Like focuses in on her job. Just, yep. okay, say no more. Yep. Like, I understand. I personally understand the significance of what you just told me. And like, that is not, not being, having the experience of being, I'm just going to take it there right. because one assumes but like a sexual assault survivor or not being a sexual assault survivor but knowing so fucking many sexual survivors yeah that just yeah ah that got me and just like the the look on both of their faces in those two cells yeah like there's yeah there's so much communication right there's a bond that i assume that two i can't say women because i know that men are can be victims of sexual assault but like two survivors two survivors when they can hint towards 
I've been through something and the other one has a good idea of what they've been through. Like that the artist was able to portray that. Yeah. um, So well. Yeah. And half of a page of a comic book. Incredible. Just, oh man, it just, it, it, it it chokes you up. It gets you. Really, really fantastic. Such a good book. Yeah. So good. Well, in the interest of keeping things running, should we go to uh, Giant Size Phantom X? I guess we gotta fucking keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Giant Size X Men Phantom X is really just kind of an exploration of what Phantom X has been doing up until this point <laughs> in yeah. his life. It's it's kind of just like a snapshot of from his conception as Weapon Thirteen. Basically, it looks like his like twin. So yeah. They're making genetic variations for Weapon 13. And in the thousands of differences, they come across two exact duplicates as infants. And so they deem to keep one and they deem to get rid of the other. Yeah. Because when you're doing experiments and you have the control, you don't need two versions of the same DNA sequence. Right. (laughs) So that's kind of the intro and then you have phantom x in our world in 616 kind of going through the years he's got a story with the howling commandos back in the so howling commandos are nick fury seniors team yeah. um, that started back in the 40s right um, he teamed up with captain america and the invaders and so you assume that the Howling Commandos here. So it's just in the 40s. Again, also pre-Eye Patch Fury. This is pre-Eye Patch. <laughs> um, and so Phantom X, sorry. Phantom X every 10 years is yeah. uh, recruiting people to infiltrate the world where Phantom X came from. Yeah. Basically to kind of check in on his twin. Yeah. And yep. be like, can, I can get you out of here right now. Yeah. Go. And shit just gets weirder and weirder in the world it's 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 like a condensed time bubble yeah and so time passes for most things in there faster and at a higher and, rate and it's used as a way to sort of uh accelerate technological innovation much faster than it'll happen in the real world and so you you see like you know tech that is decades or centuries ahead of the real world in each in the the first one with the howling commandos and then it says a decade later and he comes back with the hellfire club and it says yes. and there's just crazy like squid monsters and shit and and his twin clone guy has more like body armor or more built out costume or whatever and yeah, then there's so- another decade and he goes back with i don't know who these people are it's the a guy, humongonauts. The humongonauts. Are you familiar with them or are they new nope. for this? They, okay. they, they seem like a throwaway team that they could just kill. Okay. And so they're, they're really interesting character designs though, but he goes in with them and the tech's gotten even crazier and they die and he sees his twin again. His costume is even more developed. And then he goes back with the Morrison era costumed new X-Men team and they do it again. And now it's Krakoa era and he's being confronted by Storm because at the end of giant size X-Men, Emma and Jean, we found out that Storm had that techno-organic virus. And it turns out that 
we're, we're kind of getting back to that as a main plot for the giant sized X-Men storyline yeah. is going to the world to cure this techno-organic disease. And so they get in with a team of M, Cypher, Phantom X, Storm, and a random AIM dude. <laughs> yeah who who turns into out to be an interesting character uh so, and then this one ends and giant size storm begins but yes leave some notes for for this one if you if you have any yeah yeah so i thought it was hilarious that the howling commandos when he went with the howling commandos there's a guy in their like action shot with a grenade and an umbrella like i don't know <laughs> everyone is firing guns except for him he is the brick of the group and it's <laughs> hilarious when he hires the hellfire club yeah one of the deals he makes is that he has membership privileges in perpetuity yeah and i feel like that's going to be huge down the line yeah that's true especially with everything that's going on to the hellfire club th- these days yeah on top of that each time we he checks in on his twin on top of his costume being more and more realized he is aging like the first when we see him with the helen commandos he's a little kid when we see him with the hellfire club he's a young adult when we see him with the new x-men team this is the last time we see his face but he's like fully aged and he has some like sprocket things yeah like some yeah. like tesla coil things on his shoulders yeah yeah and then when we see him this next time so this is where i had to look into some notes because turns out that this clone of phantom x is turning into Ult- ultimaton mm. um and i thought that in phantom x's origin he killed Ultimaton because I thought Ultimaton was weapon 12 because weapon 13 Phantom X kills weapon 12 early on, but weapon 12 is something called like the Huntsman and Ultimaton is weapon 15. The Cuckoos are weapon 14. Ultimaton is weapon 15. (laughs) I have to confess. I did not remember Ultimaton at all. Yeah. And so as he was getting more and more costumed, I was like, oh shit. I only know the name Ultimaton. I know nothing about him. I know okay. his design and I know his name. <laughs> so another thing about Ultimaton and Phantom X. So back in the opening scene, they're stamping the clone babies that they want to keep with O's. And so they see the duplicates. They say, keep this one. And it's the one with the O. Throw that one away. And it's the one with the diamond. Phantom X's costume has a subtle diamond motif on the forehead. And uh, Ultimaton's costume has a has big a lot of circles. Has a big circle, yeah. Uh, yeah. most prominently in the middle of the face. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, so th- through this issue, I got to find out that Ultimaton is the genetic clone of Phantom X. Yeah, and the fact that there's a weapon in between their numberings, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so. I only knew of Ultimaton because the last time I looked up the weapon numbers Uh was like 10, 15 years ago. And so I always thought Ultimaton was the last. And and then recently they did a weapon 16. 
called, called the all God. And so oh, it was like this mutant belief system that they did. <laughs> okay. It was, yeah, it, it was interesting. It didn't feel. I like that out. the weapons get more and more abstract. Like yeah. they start with super soldier and end up with God. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as realized as I wanted it to be. It was really just kind of introduced in one storyline, but I think it became so abstract and powerful that they had to get rid of it. They can just like stop it and then come across it later kind of thing. Sure. And so, yeah, that's Ultimaton and he's still alive and he's still chilling in okay. the world. And so I'm excited to see more of him only because his design is interesting. <laughs> this is a slight side note, but how crazy is it that within Hickman's X-Men run meta story, whatever, that he is involving both the vault and the world? <laughs> I mean, they're largely duplicative of each other, right? Yeah. Like, and I feel like the vault was created because it's like, well, we want to do the world, but we don't want the baggage that's associated with the world. We want a similar <laughs> idea, but we don't want to have to deal with all the continuity bullshit. So we'll just duplicate it and create the same thing over again Yeah, and use it for one story and be rid of it. And Hickman's and like, Hickman's like, oh, thanks. Por que no los dos? Just like yeah. this insane maximalist vision where it's like, I'm going to do an X-Men book, but I'm going to have every single mutant that's ever appeared on and in Marvel continuity <laughs> in this fucking book. Yeah. it's it, I love Hickman so much. And like, I've been stressing all this time about how Xavier had taken over Phantom X's body and it was right. weird that we hadn't seen Phantom X yet. And so we have Phantom X. Uh, so I don't know how he got brought back. Yeah. I, and so what I thought was going to happen when they introduced the twins was I thought that the other twin is also going to be Phantom X from the world. And he is going to set out to take out Xavier for right. killing his brother. That's not the story we got. No. <laughs> so I don't know how Phantom X got brought back. I yeah. don't know if he cares or if he knows that Xavier is using his old body. Like I have questions. I don't know if they're going to be explored, but Phantom X is here. Yep. Here Should we, we move on to uh, giant size storm? Yes. This is that story of the team getting inside the world because the theory is that there's technology that exists there that can separate storm from the techno organic stuff that's going on in her body. That's going to kill yeah. her in 30 days. Interestingly enough, it's uh, Monet, it's M who has the idea, who thinks I know how to, I think I know yeah. how to save you. Yeah. And right before that conversation, Emma's like, why don't you just die? And if you, as long as you're dying, I have some ideas for some modifications to your body you should, you should uh, yeah. entertain. And Jean is like, fuck off, Emma. And Storm is like, well, uh, what, uh, what, uh, what are these uh, ideas you have? Yeah. And then M shows up right then. So I, oh man, like this is diving down this like really weird potential avenue that they've hinted at so many times that you can, in your last will and testament, or your continuing living will and testament, a request for changes to your body, your See, genetic makeup when you get resurrected. I didn't interpret that scene that way entirely oh. like i emma says the miracle would be one of you realizing what an overly dramatic bit of nonsense this is after all we're just going to resurrect you dear if you're feeling bold perhaps now is the time to make a few modifications i have a few ideas and Jean has this look of just like anger and disgust and shock like emma what the hell and then 
Storm is just a sneer. And she says, no, it's fine. Let her talk. And then she gets up and starts walking over towards her. Like she's going to step on a bitch. And she's like, she's <laughs> so very good at talking. And Emma takes it with absolutely like, I completely at face value. She says, thank you. I often feel an underappreciated. <laughs> and then that's when M. Yeah. 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 Cuts yeah. in. But like, so what was your takeaway? What was your different uh, that, takeaway that, for that modifications? Was, no, just that Storm wasn't open to modifications. Oh, 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 oh. That, that this was, that she interpreted this as hostility and that they were about to throw hands. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but I still want to know what Emma's ideas of modifications would be. And the as you were, as it's you were talking, probably plastic surgery. It's Emma, but, but like canonically, Storm is one of the most like yeah in universe gorgeous women in it's the true. entire Marvel like like yeah. continuity. Yeah, but there's no modifications that she needs. It's However, really true. I wonder. I think, I think she was just being a bitch. Although, I like, I wonder if Emma's going to suggest something like removing the like her trauma f- that caused her claustrophobia oh oh yeah you know i like yours better you're probably right they probably like would have set it up for it to be like this really snotty like emma loves to have the opportunity to have people expect the worst from her and then surprise them yeah <laughs> right yeah <Like> me yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man and this isn't the first time that modifications upon resurrection has been brought up. And yeah. uh, I want to explore that. I want somebody to explore it. Like, I, yeah. I, like even the depowered mutants somehow get brought back with powers. But yeah. like, there, well, there's, there's, there's got to be more. We've got the, the domino situation. That's one to, to monitor. Right. right. So yeah, they go in to the world and they go with this aim scientist who it turns out to be a, a pretty compelling character with an interesting voice about it's just talking about money, how much he's being paid, all of the loans and debt and weird, you know, like life decisions that led him to be a mad scientist for, for pay. And, you know, they fight their way through and apparently it works. It's all very weird and mystical. They have a machine to pull things apart, essentially. Yeah. A machine to decouple Storm from the virus. And then this is the lingering question is, why do what I'm doing? Why go through all this if I can let go and be resurrected? Why struggle? Why fight? Why not just surrender to the inevitable, wash my hands of it and start anew? After all, what's one life when you have an endless number of them? Where's the value? How can you even define what a good life is? I'll tell you. The true measure of life is in the living. It isn't a series of do-overs and restarts. It's fighting for what you have, what you believe in. It's fighting for who you are. I'm a mutant. I'm a goddess. And I want to live. Yep. That single monologue sold me. I was like, okay, yeah. fine. Because, and we've brought this up before. Is like, if this body has the bomb and virus, like just shove her into the sun and let's <laughs> make a new one. <laughs> Always <laughs> throwing things into the sun. Right? Not sentry. 
I'm just saying the sun has an unstable molecule suit wrapped around its core and has <laughs> an seal tree and it has like the burning corpse of like five other super villains in it right now. Why don't we just throw in Storm? <laughs> but like, and especially when you have someone like Storm, like Aurora, like she has a very passioned view of life yeah, and how one spends it and how one uses it to bring goodness into the world. And she is a very proud woman. And in my comic hype, <laughs> forgot that. Yeah. I was just like, fuck, like, let's just bring her back and let's move on with our lives. Right. Like, I did not credit, I didn't give her enough credit as a character. And I'm also wondering if this is going to be relevant later. If there's something weird with the Resurrections... And just what we've seen with Domino and like, she wanted to remember the trauma, but it took that decision away from her. Essentially. Mm -hmm. I don't trust the resurrections fully. And I wonder if this is going to end up being important in some way in a later conflict. Yeah, absolutely. The other takeaway is that Phantom X runs up against uh, Ultimaton again. And he says, you ready to go? And Ultimaton says, you should know by now, I'm never going to leave. And Phantom X says, then I guess I'm going to stay too. And AIM guy also decides to stay around because he says, look at this place. It's amazing. It's like an evil scientist dream lab, except it's not a lab. (laughs) It's an entire world. What's not to love? So that's a dangling plot thread. Yeah. So we have... Aim Ultimaton and Phantom X just hanging out in the world. And so we have in- X-23 and Darwin just hanging out in the vault. <laughs> Hickman! And then, <laughs> it turns out that the thing that was infecting Storm is an intelligence and Cypher sees it and talks to it and he's like, I see you're playing dumb. I know you're there. Yeah. I'll be back for you. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, and, 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 and it, it makes a weird sort of pattern. Yes. Which I will be looking out for in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my only other thing about it is I thought it was weird that Doug was actively using warlock abilities. Yeah. In the storming of the world. Like, well, he, well they're not keeping used... warlocks exist in a secret, just that they can be separate. He's openly on Doug's arm. Like, that's visible for anybody to see. Yeah, but, like, it's been a dormant arm for, yeah. like, ever. But they're using it as a battle suit now. Yeah, so yeah. he used it as a jetpack, and then he used it as a full-on suit, and yeah. then the head came out and was just yeah. like, hi, yeah, I thought it was a good idea for you to have a suit, bye. Yeah. And to this point, Monet's the only one that knows that that warlock is, like, sentient and right. around. Yeah. And so for him to just openly use it was interesting. Yeah. Because again, like up to this point, it's just been an arm. It's like, it's like a winter soldier arm, but but, you know, black and yellow. Yeah. And so one, him using it as like basically the way Krakoan tech has been used. Yeah. um, It's like, okay, whatever. But then to have Warlock actually pop his head out and say something, was interesting yeah like it's only happened in the giant size books yeah 
And it, yeah. it takes, I feel like it takes away from the ominousness that was Scott noticing right. Warlock and Doug and Krakoa talking to each yeah, other. Yeah, if you're just going to be this willy-nilly about it. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Whatever. Do you have anything more to say on uh, on the giant size? Nope, that's it. Okay. okay. Everything. X-Force 11 and 12? <sighs> X-Force 11 and 12. So, <laughs> so they're doing their autopsy of the biological weapon people who last infiltrated Krakoa. And it turns out that they are Russian nesting doll people. Whenever you kill one, a smaller one crawls out of its corpse and keeps going, which is hilarious. It's because they're Russian, I guess. It's very silly, but they get so tiny. Yeah, it's very weird as far as like a plot point is concerned. But... I mean, it just it led to some scenes, I guess. They yeah. they were just they're connecting the dots there. Yeah. So this uh, this ends up being like okay, we've associated this as like an all out Russian assault uh, or assault from you know this Russian group security apparatus on Krakoa. One of them manages to take the Cerebro sword that Magneto refashioned Cerebro out of earlier and yep. bring it through a Krakoan portal. And delivers it to Mikhail Rasputin, Colossus and Ileana's brother. He delivers it along with Quentin Quire's corpse to the Xeno organization and barters for better access to them uh, in their war against Krakoa and says, you should be fighting against Krakoa, not against mutants. Meanwhile, Krakoa is recovering from this giant attack and freaking out and Beast decides to go hunt down Russian mutants. He puts Omega Red into custody, and then he comes after Colossus and puts him in handcuffs and leads him to an interrogation. And Wolverine fucking cold cocks him. And Colossus accepts basically racist ethnic internment. Right? I mean, this is literally what we did after Pearl Harbor. Yeah. This is internment camps, essentially. Yeah. It, uh, they are actively trying to get me to hate Beast. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. I've been questioning Beast for a while, <laughs> very publicly. <laughs> but like now I'm like actually disliking this man. Well, also, here's the thing if you're going to do a mutant CIA, you can't be disingenuous about what the real CIA is. Like, it's an organization that does terrible things all around the world. And when you straight out say, like, this is the spy book, this is the the organization, you know, the undercover black ops organization. Like, this is what this is what spy agencies are. This is what they do. They yeah. do terrible things and torture and and you know assassinate people, like overthrow democratically elected governments and support coups and et cetera, et cetera. So death squads, good times. So one question. Yeah. At the beginning, the first Russian, Russian nesting doll that we see stabs Cecilia Reyes in the throat. Yeah. Does her force field not come up against physical attacks? It does. Cause when she was first introduced, I thought it was subconscious that it just kind of came up reflexively. It, it is. 
So why did it not come up? All right, cool. All right. Okay. <laughs> so that, that stood out to me. I was like, wait a second. Like the second she got stabbed, I was like, wait, no. And then I thought, you know, other times I've seen it, it's been like fire's been shooting at her or yeah. like some sort of blast. And I was like, maybe it's just for non-physical attacks. Nope. Like if she were a Pokemon, she would have super special defense, <laughs> but no physical defense. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but okay. So that was just something that they decided to ignore for the plot. Yeah. My notes on issue 11 <laughs> are just like quick, sort of just like, yeah, it's rushing nesting dolls, exclamation point, LOL. Yeah. And then Cecilia's force fields, question mark, question mark. Yeah. And then Piotr wanted to be, to live in peace. Um, <sighs> Poor yeah. Pete. They I just, know. Anytime yeah. something happens to Pete, I think of you. <laughs> he just wants to farm and have a good life. And he's finally he's like, back at, you know, he's quit X-Force. He's farming. He's painting. He's got this girl, Kayla, who seems to be a brand new character. I looked her up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they seem to have, you know, at least a flirtation, if not something more. But mm-hmm. and, and a, you know, uh, a stable and happy friendship at the very least. And then, yeah, let's let's round you up and put you in a camp. <laughs> yeah. Got the Cerebro Sword, Choir and Phoebe, one of the cuckoos. Yeah. Hooking up in a, in a fucking bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, and Choir is so giggly. It's just, I feel so bad for the, the fall of Quentin Choir. Yeah. Um, in, in, in the Dawn totally. era. He gets killed. Every time he shows up. All the time. And he, does he even is, say, like, not again? Right. At, the, at this point, it should. But this is the third time on screen he has been killed. All within X-Force. Yep. No, like, no one was on Wolverine, right? No. Oh, I thought it was the, the opening pages of Wolverine when he, when he blacks out and he's killed his teammates, his X-Force teammates. Oh, Fourth time on screen that he's been <laughs> killed in Dawn. And like poor choir. He's he's the Kenny. <laughs> oh my god, they killed Quentin. You <laughs> bastards. Um so yeah, so we we're dealing with the rushing nesting dolls. It turns out the nesting dolls only existed so they can get the cerebro sword. And yep. they get the cerebro sword to Mikhail, who is alive. Interesting character. No idea where he's been. Or I, I feel like I've talked about him a lot in my hey, '90s recaps. So I, don't I will say, go over from my perspective, this is the yeah. first time we've seen Mikhail. Oh wow! I have not seen. I had no idea who that was oh. until until issue twelve when they straight up said his name. Oh geez. no! Sorry, it had his name in the like roster for the issue. Right. I had no idea who that was. And oh, so I was okay, like, yeah. well, that's all we're going to have to talk to Steve about. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and they said, Mikhail. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he hasn't shown up on page in over 20 years, I guess. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> Cause he died to the legacy virus. Everyone that died to the legacy virus, except for Colossus has like stayed dead for the most part. Yeah. Got to hand it to him. Yeah. Um, my legacy. My last note on X-Force is Beast's 
little uh, logbook here, The Trader's Paradise, you know, where he's kind of talking about his fears and anxieties. Xavier is trying to get by on trust and Beast is trying to go through all of the security contingencies, etc. And he lands on the Panopticon. Are you familiar with mm. the term of the Panopticon? No. Okay. So Jeremy Bentham, who he name drops in his uh, note here, was an English social theorist who devised sort of what he considered the perfect prison, which is completely circular. And there's a central shaft with the guard and all of the outside is cells with an open wall to the middle. So they're all visible to the guard, but the guard is obscured so like a one way, you know, basically he can see out, but they can't see if they're being seen. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is the most effective form of social control isn't violence, it's surveillance. The idea that if you're being watched, uh, if there's you know an implicit future threat, uh, then you will police yourself, act the way that your captors or you know whoever is in charge wants to make you act without actually without them having to actually enforce that. And so the idea of the Panopticon is you have one guard for the entire prison. Nobody knows if they're being watched, so they'll always act as if they're being watched. And B says it's it's a brilliant insight into the philosophy of control. The Central Guard Tower makes the inmates unsure whether they're being observed, and so they behave accordingly. In much the same ways, America's crime rates are significantly down due to doorbell cameras, traffic cameras, cell phone cameras. The want to wrong will always be in us, but the fear of being seen overrides it. So this is... He shares a lot of line with French philosopher and social theorist uh, Michel Foucault, who took the social engineering idea of the panopticon and said, no, this is all of society. The way that technologies and structures of obedience and control work on the population in general is we always feel or act as if we're being watched, that the lack of privacy and the lack uh, and the the subject subjectivity of being in the open and potentially having our uh, actions you know watched and recorded, this is a uh, parable or or a parallel for the world at large and the way that society in general functions. Hmm. And so, this will be relevant for Nomon, but it made me really excited. <laughs> it made me really excited to to see them uh, to see it popping up here. But this is like he's he's talking about this openly. This isn't me bringing like unrelated stuff. This is exactly no, yeah. what he's to say, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so we have two instances of Beast like not caring about his subject, and yeah. like. He has Sage has like a bad concussion and he's like, yeah, I don't care. Here's a Krakoan backpack that will soothe your pain. Yeah. And you uh, have you to should, work. It's, you, need it's to, you need to yeah. do something right now. You need to help surveil. Yeah. And Sage is like, you're being an asshole. I can't yeah. feel the side of my face. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, you, your pain will fucking go away. He's just like, I got it. It's fine here. This is yep. what you need to know. And then you have Beast treating Colossus like a POW, basically. Yeah. And he justifies it with, well, you know, 
if he ends up being innocent, I'll make a public display of his innocence as well. Yeah. And you're like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Thank goodness for Logan. I'm so glad he punched him. I'm so, yeah. so glad he punched him. Punched the shit out of him. Fucking like, I could just kill him. <laughs> it's bring him back anyway. I mean, I think the way that this ended up here is that they wanted to tell this mutant CIA story. They wanted this to be an aspect of Krakoa, but there wasn't any other character who could fit that. The um, He doesn't fit this role morally, but he fits it intellectually. Mm-hmm. And you could see how he could maybe intellectualize his way into this situation, but there's no one else who has this sort of like audience trust to, right. to be in this role. So even if he's being inconsistently characterized, the choice of using beast is more about our expectations of like spycraft and about intelligence communities and intelligence services rather and, and using a character who we know and trust for this role, rather than this right. being something that specifically fits beast. That's yeah. my read on this. I agree. Cause I mean, like if you had, sage or right tom right or like anyone else being the like guy in the chair for the x-force team it wouldn't have the same impact they'd have to spend more time exploring that character yeah before we could get on board to exactly have this kind of betrayal exactly yep yeah i agree i mean mission accomplished (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm so i just beast is just like, I don't know if it's the same degree or, and if it's not, I don't know even in which direction. Your fandom of Cyclops on Utopia yeah, and his subsequent fall post AVX. Right. I liken how I feel about Beast from pre-Hawks and Pox to current. That's a good point. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Like, he has... In every other instance, he's been the moral high ground and questioning of ethics. Yeah. Of choices. He yeah. like you have the he, you have he, the Logans and the Scots that are willing to cross lines, and right. he has never been that and character. It's funny that we were talking about Logan and compromise before as lo- someone who wouldn't compromise, but he will compromise his, his ethics and his soul or his, you know, his conception of himself as a good person uh, in right. order to do a thing that he feels is necessary that fits some uh, notion of justice. Or- but Beast, he might be more willing to to compromise politically or to placate somebody or or but he won't compromise ethically yeah yeah and he's always been the voice of the other side of that coin yeah i feel like clearly it's apocryphal but it's such a fitting picture the first season of the x-men animated series from the 90s he spends the whole thing in jail they go to break him out. Uh, you yeah. know, he gets caught on their raid in the Sentinel facility. They put him in jail and they bust in to break him out. And he's like, I could have done this by myself if I wanted to. Like, go mm-hmm. on, <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm here to for my trial and to, you know, pursue justice. And I that, you know, it's this sort of Gandhian 
theory of nonviolence. I mean, he'll still punch a dude, but like, you know, this idea of like, no, this is conscious civil disobedience. I go, I break the law. I serve the punishment that they give. Yeah. And like, he's a founding member of the X-Men. Of the five, he's been arguably one of the most consistent, like, moral center of the, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's just this version, like, there's never even been like a hinting towards that this is the beast that we, that we may get one day. Right. And it's just, ah, ah, ah. Mm, yeah just i want i the historical i mean i guess there are a couple hints right in the fact that they had dark beast and then they had kid beast flirting with the direction towards being dark beast to signal that like okay this is like a a potential path for Hank. that's true that's true but like the amount of regret that he showed in bringing the young x-men to the present day. I thought even that was kind of out of character because it's not it, like him to do something so short-sighted. Right. And that's the thing. Yeah, is impulsive. Like, yeah. Right. And so his arc in that yeah. is his regret in doing that. Yeah. He was like, shit, I fucked up. I didn't think this through. Yeah. I broke the timeline. Time travel doesn't work right now. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was it, it just bah, bah, yeah. whatever. I could go on and on about beasts, but that at a certain point, I'm just talking in circles. Sure. Excalibur, should we bring it home? Yes, bring it home. These last two issues are Excalibur 11 and 12. The plot of the team, I didn't have a whole lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. They fight their way through Otherworld to the Citadel. And then they get there and they plant their, their yeah, the gate. They plant the Kirkoan gate. Um, Successfully. Yeah. Yeah. At the Citadel, boom! At the Starlight Citadel, yep. that is headed up by headed up by Opal, Luna, Saturnine. We have the establishment of white priestesses and green priestesses. The white priestesses are more militant and live in the Citadel. You have the green priestesses that are more in touch with nature and kind of druidic, and uh, live in the forest. And and they have they have a lot more autonomy over what they do. What they do, yeah. You know, still nominally in line with Saturnine's general ethos and mission, but they d- do it the way that they want to. Mm-hmm. And then we have, I hope that there's more to this, but a general realization of Apocalypse's plan. Yeah. We establish, well, I guess for me, we establish that he's part of the externals, this group called the externals. That was known. That yeah. was previously known. Yeah. I don't know anything about the group called externals. That's because uh, they than... were so close to copyright infringement on Highlander that they had to shut down the entire storyline. Yeah. So they were called because they called themselves the High Lords, hence Highlander. Uh, <laughs> they prefer High Lords, but they are the externals. And membership of said group. Saul, Nicodemus, Absalom, uh, Celine, Kandra, Gideon, Cruel, and Apocalypse. Yes. Did that all Um, from memory. What a fucking boss. (laughs) See, yeah, you're you're cool. (laughs) When it comes to mutants, I I will eternally bow down. (laughs) It's because I limit myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we have Apocalypse 
calling the externals. So they, what sets them apart from the rest of mutant dumb? I guess they're all mutants, right? They're all immortal mutants with yes. immense power. And, and what sets them apart from the others is this that... is this is new. Oh, okay. So what sets them apart from the others is two main things: resurrection and communion. So with the resurrection, technically they can be killed, yeah. and via whatever supernatural form, they always yeah. come back. Yeah. And then communion, they are always aware of the existence of each other, and they can summon each other psychically. To be like, hey, we got to meet up. Yeah. It's time. So real quick, they were first introduced in the early 90s. They assumed that Cannonball was joining their ranks, that he was going to be the next High Lord Mm. because he apparently died and then was fine. And Uh. then they're like, wait a minute. There's no such thing as High Lords. (laughs) We're about (laughs) to get sued. Got it. I love that they're like, it's been tw- it's been 20 years. Let's yeah. bring them back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then nobody's so- planning a Highlander reboot, right? Yeah, we're safe. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Richter hopping through the Krakoan gate in Otherworld at the Citadel, uh, remembering that they needed some sort of crystal for it. It not working, him reaching out psychically to Apocalypse, which was weird, but it gets explained. And then Apocalypse helping bring him back and Apocalypse explaining to the other externals, which he summoned being like, Hey, this is Richter. He's on his way to becoming the next external. He has the potential to be the next Tie Lord. But it's not just him. It's every mutant because the innovations of the innovations of Krakoa, the gates and the resurrection mean that every mutant has the gift of the externals. Yes. And that, that their little cadre is now obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was really interesting. Right? That was really interesting. Really, really cool way to tie in that weird obscure bit of lore and old plot thread that had been completely abandoned 20 years ago. <laughs> and it, it honestly it's kind of, it's nice that they explored this other aspect of what it means to be a High Lord because the old High Lords, most of them, except for like Selene, Apocalypse, maybe Kandra, pretty damn underwhelming power-wise. Mm. You're like, this guy gets spiky. Cool. Okay. Whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. You have a guy that can turn into a dragon. Yeah. Um, you have a spiky guy. You have a fire guy. And yeah, you have someone that shoots a lot of fire. And you have Gideon is already on Apocalypse's side. <laughs> right. And he you never see his powers like ever. Um also it, it's kind of funny that like three weeks ago we we're talking about the externals on your side. Right. <laughs> and we have Gideon with his green cap. And <laughs> When he was listed as the roster on the issue, I took a picture and sent it to Steve and yeah. I lost my mind. I was like, get it. <laughs> oh man. Gideon, Gideon, <laughs> the external with the green cap. Yep. So yeah, I don't know. I hope there's more to this because 
what's going on is Apocalypse wanted to sacrifice four of the externals. It's because when one external kills another external, uh, their, their, power. their powers get distributed amongst the rest. Kandra established that they could put their essence into a crystal. Putting your life essence in a crystal disrupts that flow of power. Yeah. Um, and again, that's completely ripped off from Highlander. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the crystal part, not as much, but the crystal part. The, these, the, Ka- Kandra, yeah. Kandra was a, a character separately from the external plot in a gambit plot and got roped in. They're like, oh, another immortal mutant? Let's just make her an external. Yeah. It, it was around the same time anyway. Yeah. So Apocalypse sacrifices four of them to make four giant crystals to make a gateway. One of them doesn't turn into a crystal gateway. And what it, it is Kandra. Turns out that Kandra has her essence hidden in a gem on Otherworld. And Gambit's like, well, that can't be. So he tosses her into yeah, the, he stole it from from other world into the gate and sacrifice Kandra to create the fourth crystal. So now you have these four crystals. It doesn't look like it's on Krakoa, but the four crystals end up creating a gate to other world that is just always open now. And I really hope that's not all Apocalypse cared about. <laughs> right, like. <laughs> we get, we start you know 12 issues ago with apocalypse diving into mutant magic uh-huh. and we have this whole plot thread of jumping into other world and we have the braddocks and captain britain and all this craziness all while that's happening you have apocalypse further exploring magic and items and crystals and this and that and then it comes down to him sacrificing four externals to make just just to make a gate to other world (laughs) there's got to be more right there's more that is such a waste of apocalypse yeah if there were anybody else, I wouldn't care as much. But one, he is a member of the Quiet Council. And I will always refer to members of Quiet Councils because they made it a big deal. So I'm going to make it a big deal. Sure. So one, it's a waste <laughs> of a member of the Quiet Council. Two, it's a waste of Apocalypse and everything <laughs> that he is. <laughs> Three, the level of secrecy that they gave him through the story and yeah. the amount of spectacle that they gave sacrificing the four externals it seems like it was a build-up to this i just don't want it to be yeah yeah well this is clearly going to be pretty central to x of swords so i think so too yeah and so we keep on talking about x of swords like it's a crossover event and it kind of is but it's 18 issues of all the current books and just the next number issues of those books so while it says X of Swords, it's not a Hawks and Pox kind of a thing. Right. But it might uh, still be a it's not a it's not a miniseries, but I think it'll still have like storylines that dangle between titles rather than yeah, rather so than too. like just distinct storylines yes. that continue on like the regular plot of each book. Yeah. And I did some research. Hellfire Gala is the same kind of thing, just okay. down the line after oh. after X of Swords. Interesting. Okay. Did you have anything else on on Excalibur? Oh, the cover art for Excalibur number 12, I thought was really cool. That was it. <laughs> it had Saturnine 
at a chessboard with all the players being Excalibur members and her playing them like pieces. But then behind her and over her is Apocalypse and his hand over Saturnine. And I just loved that image, um, especially considering what we saw happen in the issue. That is cool. Um, That's it. All right. Now, let's let's not do the big picture questions. Do you want to do that next week? Yeah. With the baby Nomon issue also? Sure. That might yeah, be yeah, fun. yeah. Let's do that. Hey, one more thing. This is our 25th episode. This is our 25th episode. Happy 25th. Happy 25. This is a, a real comic book event. You know, the, all right. the multiples of 25. It's a big deal. So congrats, man. Yeah. If we've we... only taken one week off, which means. And even we've done... that, I don't even think we really. Uh, we. We recorded on like Friday instead of the previous Sunday. (laughs) But uh, that means we've been doing this half a year. Six months. Yeah, that's true. Right. That's wild. Right. So much fun, man. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying doing this. Me too. It would be nice if neither of us had to edit. (laughs) If 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 we could just like throw some money at somebody that wasn't too expensive to edit for mm-hmm. us. Well, Hey, if any of the listeners are interested, <laughs> I know. Right. And then you don't even have to listen to our pod anymore. Cause you'll be <laughs> so you'll, you'll hear you'll it, more it first. Than we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Oh man. I think well, that was uh, fun. Yeah. That's good for me. Do you want to take us on home? Oh yeah. Um, I guess at this point we may as well put the outro music here. Shout out to what's his name, Rusty, the drummer, your drummer, Woody. Woody. (laughs) Shout out to Woody (laughs) for being the drums in our outro music. Absolutely. (laughs) And hey, shout out to uh, Alan for being fourth in the world to see the itch. That's exciting. I know. It's insane. Yeah. So cool. All right, dude. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.